Sup Freaks, it's your boy Marty Bent here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt. The immense pleasure of sitting down again with the man with the saltiest balls in the world, Dave Collum. We had a, a great three-hour conversation. Uh, this conversation goes as my conversations with Dave tend to go. Far-ranging. Making people think critically. And just exploring some ideas. So I hope you guys enjoy it. This episode is brought to you by your good friends at the motherfucking Cash App. Cash App, for those of you who could not understand that clearly, the Cash App is helping you stack sats, send sats, receive sats, and sell sats if you're so pleased. We're saying sats, 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 because you can make sats the standard. We're no longer buying fractions of Bitcoin. We're buying whole sats. For you freaks that didn't know out there, a Bitcoin is divisible in 100 million units known as sats. And for those of you freaks who didn't know about the Cash App, didn't know you could stack sats, let me also tell you they can stack sats on a set cadence. You can DCA. You can set it for daily buys, weekly buys, bi-weekly buys. Set it and forget it and stack sats. On top of that, you can stack slivers of stonks if you so please. If your favorite stonk is a little too expensive, a little out of your, your, uh, your budget, Cash App Investing is allowing you to stack as little as $1 worth of a stonk. Okay, so you can get into that stonk because all this is connected to your bank account. There's no four to five day waiting period. You start stacking sats and slivers of stonks today. Uh, should note, Cash App Investing is subsidiary square and member SIPC. Uh, on top of the stack stacking, the sat stacking, and the stonk stacking, uh, it's an incredible app beyond that. They have the boost program, which allows you to go to partner merchants, save a little money. When you have your boost initiated, uh, it can be your bank account. They're offering account numbers and routing numbers to individuals so you get your paychecks direct deposited into the app. Cash app, the motherfucking cash app, is the motherfucking bank of the future. Okay? So use the code StackingSats. Download it today. It's S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S. You're going to get $10. And $10 is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls Lacrosse. Enjoy this episode. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Dave, welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's been almost four months now. Uh, or excuse me, more than four, four and a half months now. A lot has gone on since we last met at the end of May. Uh, I want to thank you for coming back on the podcast. We have a lot to talk about. Yeah, we do. Um, I always like talking to the the king of the hodlers. <laughs> I'll, you know what? I'm going to run with that badge. I'm the king of the hodlers. You guys heard it here first. Yeah, I say hodlers or hodlers. I think hodlers is better. It's, it's inter interchangeable. It's it's highly debatable. But since it's pejorative, I get to make the call, right? Well, it's, uh, it depends on <laughs> who's receiving the label. Some will take yeah. that pejorative and yeah. wear it as a badge of honor. You know. That's exactly right. That's, you you filled my Twitter feed with hodlers. I'll tell you that much. I'm sorry if they're pestering you still. No, no, they're they're a, they're a benevolent bunch. 
Yes. Uh, the cancel culture bunch, they're not benevolent. I don't know if you freaks know, but a few days after we last recorded or at least when we published the episode of our last conversation, you, Dave Collum, were, were canceled. What was that experience like? What was it over? And what's the aftermath been like? Um. Yeah, the cancel culture is evil, actually. Um, yeah, it, it kind of sucks salty balls. Um, I should probably dial the clock back a little bit. Back in 2017, I battled. Are we all video or audio? Just just audio? Just audio. Okay. Just Your video is not on, so I can't see you, but I, you, you don't have to turn it on at all. I see. So I can, like, scratch myself and stuff. Um, yeah, so in 17, there was a labor movement on campus, and uh, they were trying to unionize our grad students. It's the second time, and I, I got into a battle with the organizers, and they were about to win big, and there was no opposition. I put together a team, but the, the union wouldn't wouldn't cooperate, and so they, times had changed, and they were going to win big, and then once you're unionized, you don't go back, and, and it's just, I don't want to get in a debate about the pros and cons of unionization, but what happened was, is I picked a fight, um, back then and then uh and somehow they were stupid enough to bite and that finally allowed me to get my ideas about unionization out there and get people sort of perking up because it, it got visible and uh the anti-union vote won by a razor thin margin 60 votes out of 2000 so everything calmed down and then about three weeks later uh in the cornell daily sun also known as rag of rags um the seven organizers uh did a smear campaign they went through my twitter feed marty you are my witness that could get ugly um and they pulled a bunch of crap out of the twitter feed and then misrepresented it and they accused me of promoting rape and stuff like that which is just ridiculous i made a joke about the uh about the, the movie Hangover and said, bring roofies to one of our buddies on Twitter. I said, don't forget the roofies. I said, that was promoting rape. I go, or making a joke about the movie Hangover. Um, so I did a lot of that. And one of my law colleagues beat the crap out of them in a counterattack. And so it kind of failed. So that was fine. I was actually enjoying it by the time it was over. But the, so then this year, um, sometime in May, as, as you reminded me, um, I was on Twitter late one night and, um, uh, quote the Raven, Chris Irons, another prominent podcaster. Um, he posted the video of the Buffalo old man getting shoved over by the police. And it was probably 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night. And I, uh, I looked at the video and I, he said it was just awful. I can't remember some word like that. And I said, you know, I, I'm going to take the other side. Um, I don't know why he's poking at the riot police. I, he he sh he should have been doing that. He's got to give him space. And then I said, uh, I said I I can see that the that the result was brutal, but it wasn't police brutality. And then uh, something like it was self-inflicted. And the self-inflicted was the thing that was used against me. Um, without so this is the anatomy of a cancellation right here. So within within very short time, my Twitter feed turned into a dumpster fire. I didn't know at first what was happening. And, uh, so people started attacking me. So I fired back some, you know, like the cops on 12 hour shifts, the fried, you know, this is crazy, right? So I dropped a couple of F-bomb laced counterattacks. And then um, Chris pointed out something. He said, you know, the guy who doxed you with 3 million followers just deleted his tweet. I had no idea what he was talking about. It turns out it was some 
I'll say B-level actor in Hollywood who, who flagged me for supporting the cops. Now, I've tried to figure out if there's a dog whistle in there, which I think there is. I don't think it's, I don't think it was just some guy flagged me and then, and then people caught on. And I, 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 ever since it happened, it felt like somehow I was set up to be, to be hammered because things happen so quickly, so quickly. And uh, so, uh, but then he deleted his tweet and heaven only knows why I did that because I couldn't see anything in his tweet besides just saying this guy's a douchebag. Um, my email box started filling up with hate mail uh, within minutes. And I got an email from my associate chair, friend of mine, and the, the chair who used to be my associate chair. Um, he, uh, I was told by the associate chair that, that, that their email boxes were filling up. And so then all of a sudden I get an email from a group acronym FIRE, which supports free speech. And I dealt with them before in the previous canceling when I, someone said, get a little legal advice. So I, these guys do it. Um, if it's a free speech issue, um, they reached out to me and said, if you need help, and I'm going, why do I need, what's going on here, right? And so, uh, so I whipped over to Twitter, had to do some Googling to figure out how to lock down my account, um, just not knowing what my next move would be, but I said, okay, let's stop the flood. Uh, deleted hundreds of fo fresh follows that came out of left field. And, uh, and then, uh, and then, um, by morning, it was clear that I picked a funny hill to die on because I, I walk into the, the, the bedroom, my wife was up and there she is watching TV and there's the Buffalo guy getting knocked over and I'm going, oh boy, this is a problem. And uh, so to make a very long story short, the, 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 the shit at the fan, Cornell got, uh, I've been told upwards of uh, 2000 emails. The administrators, they were sending emails to my grad students, to my colleagues, to staff in the department. They were setting up websites to automate the process. And so uh, for all I know, there were 5,000 signatures on a, on a petition to fire me. Um, for all I know, I don't know any of them, right? It's quite possible. I'd be sad to think that three people I know well would sign that thing. And I'd be shocked if five did. Um, and. Uh, and so it's, 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 it's the cancel culture. This was a classic case of it. And uh, I stand by the tweet I, and we'll get to that. If you want, if you want to go the whole nine yards, I can do it. Um, I got plenty of time. My, okay. uh... So, uh, so I realize I'm in the middle of a shit storm and, uh, and, uh, and next thing I know I'm having conversations with the department chair, who's my conduit to the university. And, and, um, and, I don't, I couldn't really tell how much information I was getting uh, from him. And it's not that he would hold out on me on purpose, but he, he might, he has to sort of wear two hats. And so he's talking to the university. And he was decidedly uncomfortable. I could tell. And uh, this was while we were all sheltered up and I was sitting on my deck enjoying the sun, but it was, it was a pretty awful situation actually. And uh, lots of hate mail. I, I, um, I started sleeping with a shotgun. And uh, I, I did not know uh, the sheltering probably helped actually. I think if, if, if campus was in session, who knows? But um, but I decided that if if someone came and it got bad, I wasn't going down. Long. I wasn't going down single. I, I, I would I would uncork on them if I had to. Um, I had steak knives placed around the house so in case I got isolated, I could pull one out and you know gut some poor bastard. 
Um, and and I, it, was, it was really uncomfortable. So then the university uh, was in a war room mode. So they're dealing with COVID. My chair's dealing with a father who's dying. And meanwhile, they got this war room situation. Best I can tell, again, I don't have a good view because I, I was getting pretty secondhand. Um, they were not reaching out to me, although I did get a reach out from a high administrative assistant, so one of these ones who's way above just secretary. And she said, you know, anyway, I can help. You know, she was, seemed supportive. Um, Cornell was struggling to figure out what to do with this. They'd never seen it. Other schools have. Um, and it's appallingly frequent. It might go away, but it's appallingly frequent. It's appallingly evil. Um, so why do cancel call, what is cancel culture? Well, they want, well, they want your job. Um, they want to get even with anyone who they don't agree with. Uh, they don't agree with anyone, so that's a bad combination. Um, they want you to not only not have a job, they want you to not be employable either. It's, and, and they don't want to convert you, they don't want to teach you, they don't, don't want you to repent, they just want to get you. Um, this is the new, sort of new generation. This is the Marxist, Marxist youth. And they're not all Marxist, but then, you know, if you dig back and say, what did these kids get brought up thinking? They had elementary, middle school, and high school teachers telling them things that we didn't get told. And, and so now they've, they've convinced themselves that, uh, that, that if, if, if they disagree with you, it must be evil. And uh, in the modern era, therefore you must do anything to vanquish your opponent. And so, yeah, it seems very akin to went on in Maoist China in the beginning, where you had to parrot the party lines, or if not, you got publicly scolded. Sometimes even to the point where you yeah, had to get on. Yeah, another way of putting it, right? Yeah. Um, and my chair was reaching out to my colleagues, saying, you know, anyone want to talk, whatever. Uh, the colleagues who were most bothered by it were the Chinese descent, because they recognized the Cultural Revolution all over the stuff. To them, they said, this is just a repeat now. They've seen this. Yeah. Um, so in any case, they, cow, there's, I, I just, I'm trying to write about it right now. So actually a little unnerving, but there, there's two dozen faculty members who have been canceled for various sins, um, various crimes against humanity, you know, like saying all lives matter. That's pretty much get you booted. Um, while I was sitting on my deck, uh, kind of took the fun out of that part. Um, I had plenty of time to think about uh, how I would defend myself if Cornell decided to try to exclude me. Um, and don't, I don't want anyone to get me wrong. I actually have great faith in our administration. You rarely hear a faculty member say that, but I actually have great faith. I know the provost well, he's great. I don't know the president well. Um, so it's just kind of a uh, the jury's out for me still on her. I, I've heard she's big on free speech, but I was about to find out. And uh, so they finally came out with a statement that said Dave's a douchebag, and he said deeply disturbing things. But they didn't say what it was. They just it was a it went to all the went out. Who knows? I have no idea how many people got this goddamn email. So. I said, well, that piece getting fired. Um, it started to thaw a little bit. Um, I, I started thinking about why it'd be hard to fire. And um, I, I was talking to my chair, for example. I'm what's called director of undergraduate studies. Uh, 
right now, or I was. And uh, I said to the chair, I said, you probably ought to yank me out of that position. It's probably got bad optics. And he said, no, but then the provost said, yeah. So, so I stepped down. The, the Cornell Daily Sun, meanwhile, was writing daily articles about me. And they'd write an article about football, say, oh, by the way, did we mention that Dave's a douchebag, right? It was just, it was just non, there's something like nine of them. And um, so they were bored. My wife wanted to sue them. Um, I said, no. Uh, she said, they, they got to learn how to be journalists. I said, that's what they're doing right now. They, <laughs> they are being journalists. That's what journalists do now. They're all sacks of garbage. And uh, so Trump's dead right. on that. You guys hate Trump. He's dead right about the media being evil. They, they are absolutely evil. They've completely lost their, their moorings. They, they, I don't know a single media member who I fully trust. I, uh, Especially... When you consider their ability to to spin up the mob with the framing of of what they decide to share, which in this particular episode with the gentleman in Buffalo who approached the riot police, so obviously people reacted viscerally to that video initially without knowing all the facts of what happened before the cut of that particular video started. You know that? Do your listeners know that story? I can skip it or I can do it. No, it's I don't. We know we haven't covered it on this podcast. I don't want to assume. We'll um, hit that. So let me first give you a sense of why it'd be hard to fire. Um, I'm red-blooded Cornellian. I was an undergrad here. My father went here. My mother went here. My grandfather went here. My, my grandfather was actually president of the National Alumni Association. So there's, there's these little foundational things that seem like, you know, if you were battling, battling evil forces, then these are kind of, these make it complicated, right? I'm not an adjunct professor. Um, I'm the only guy in chemistry who's been director of undergraduate studies, director of graduate studies, associate chair, and chair. So for misogynist, Nazi, douchebag, uh, transgender hating, you know, add all the, the things, somehow my colleagues saw fit to give me a lot of positions of importance. Um, I'm becoming more hostile to some, uh, some of these groups, but it's, it's not my nature. Um, I thought about the fact that, you know, I'm going to rate my professor.com 15 years of rate my professor.com. There's not a single negative comment. And so despite the fact that I'm this awful, awful person, no one saw fit to point that out. Uh, I've never had any real problems. One time I mentioned in a class that I was talking about how I don't believe a lot of mechanisms in chemistry that people present. I started talking about things that I don't believe that are not chemistry, but you know, I, I try, I spend a lot of time trying to debunk garbage. So I you know, pick on the Roth IRA and I mentioned some stuff. It's like, you know, I, I figured out a big gap in the Roth IRA. Why is the chemist thinking this? Right? Why am I coming up with this? And I mentioned in passing, cause it was fresh. I said, you know, the Vegas shootings have got a problem. I'm going to try to figure out what it is. That is all I said. Five kids went to the chair's office to complain. What? And gone, you guys are pussies. You're just, this is, and I asked the chair, I said, was it really five? Was it one plus four friends supporting? And they said, yeah, he said, yeah. So, so that's a little cancel culture flavor right there. So anyway, I thought about that. That was one of the things in my history. And of course they sold it as that I'm crazy in class, right? And I'm crazy in class, but not hateful, hurtful. And I don't, I don't give speeches about Trump. I'll make an occasional joke that has some politician in it just because it pops into my head spontaneously, but I don't go on diatribes. Um, I did, do tell stories about what happens when you eat a bowl of blue jello and you 
have diarrhea, things like that. Those, those, those things show up. Um, so, uh, but there was awful stuff that had shards of truth in it with just slathered with fabrications, whipping around red and stuff. And so, so, um, so then I thought about the fact that, um, you know, I had a dean in January tell me in a meeting, we, we actually talked about social media and he said, my dean said, um, um, what good is tenure if you don't have free speech? Now, the interesting thing about the letter that was sent from the university saying Dave's a douchebag um, was that it was signed by five people and one of the odd signers was the chief of police. I'm going, dude, I fell on my sword for you, right? But that was, I think, Cornell's way of saying, don't start rioting against Cornell policemen, right? So I said, okay, I understand that. Notably absent, there's the president, the provost, the chief of police, some vice president, such and such. My dean was not on the ladder. And I'm pretty confident he said, fuck you, I'm not doing it. And um, so then, uh, so then um, uh, I've coached two collegiate sports at Cornell. Who's done that? What, what faculty members done that, right? Name, you'd have to go back to 19... 13 when sports were coached by, you know, who wants to be coached today, right? Um, I, I, uh, I have such a long contiguous string of funded federal grants without a rejection. Typical grant, you might have a one in five probability of getting it. And if you do some quick math, I put 21 in a row together, which is something like 10 to the 13th. And, um, sort of compounding at the rate of Stan Druckenmiller. Um, and it was sufficiently impressive that the dean presented that story to the trustees at a trustee meeting, things like that. Uh, and then my, I know a number of trustees who were actually very helpful to me. Um, I, I spent probably five hours on the phone talking to David Einhorn, uh, talking about the event, talking about shorting Hertz with Davy Day Trader running around um, <laughs> about all sorts of things. And he's been very supportive and he wrote a formal letter saying, don't be stupid here. Um, uh, my brother-in-law is a trustee. And so, and my wife's name is Candace Cornell. His name is Ezra Cornell. And so you can kind of put together why he's a trustee. He's a trustee by birth and he's a free speech, free market, Trump supporting guy. And so, so things would be pretty tricky. Uh, I've sat twice in chair meetings, uh, arts and science chairs. Twice I had the Dean of Arts and Sciences, a previous one, send me a text message saying, Dave, you have to speak up on some topic that was going off the rails and things like this are these are minor contributions but if, if i had to put it in front of a jury they'd go you know this guy this guy is kind of falling on a sword for cornell a lot here and this guy speaks up and and this is a problem now the killer the killer and until i did a podcast with who the hell was it? i can't remember uh, this wasn't known but I'm, I'm throwing it out to the public and i'll write about it um, but I kept it to myself. But if Cornell's gonna kind of call me a douchebag, then I'm gonna kind of defend myself. Um, in 17, when I fought the union, um, it all started in, in something like 06, the UAW um, 
organized here and they lost. They lost on the ideas, two to one dominant victory but against the union and they lost on the ideas. And I helped the anti-union forces, but I wasn't critical. Uh, I was visible. Um, I got a couple of complaints from the National Labor Relations Board saying that I had invaded. I was shown to be not guilty. Um, when they needed balance in a big university debate, I got a call from the dean of faculty saying, Dave, we need you to give a talk. I didn't want to do it. And I said, he said, you have to. And so the next day I did it. I actually took a couple of Valiums. There's a reason I was agitated about something. I looped right through it. Um, and then when the new unionization effort in 17 showed up, it was actually much more dramatic. So I, I sent an email to the Dean of the College of Arts and Sciences and the provost saying the union's here again, they're very active and I'm not seeing any action whatsoever. And, and we're gonna lose this, it's gonna be a disaster. Quick email. That night I got a call from the provost saying, we know we're watching, we're in sensitive negotiations to how to do the union vote and stuff like that. And he said, I need you to set up an opposition. So the provost asked for it. Now the reason this is relevant is because the cancellation used the the smear campaign because of that union, um, because that union opposition to beat me the most. So that that they used three-year-old day to do the most damage in public to me. Uh, when you then put it in the context of the provost asking you to do the fight. That's like the coach yelling at the guy he sent out on the ice to be an enforcer in hockey, right? So it's, it's just, so uh, so I was on speed dial with deans. I was on speed dial with Cornell Council as I was fighting the union. And and uh, when they first, when I, I first had a conference call, I said, look, if I get, if I, if, if I don't get a number of charges to the NLRB for, by the union, I'll be disappointed. And they said, we're okay with that. And um and they said, it's our understanding you beat the UAW. I said, no, no, no chance that I beat the UAW. I played a role, but no, that, that was just one. That was just one by the ideas. But they said, well, it's our understanding you beat them. So in any event, so all these are interesting stories having to do with, you know, and then you yell at the guy for being outspoken, right? Um, and, and so I think it would have been a problem. And then my chair talked to some of the Cornell Council and this person supposedly said, this is secondhand, if we tried to fire Dave, we'd be destroyed. And so that allowed me to calm down a little bit because well, tenured professors are getting fired by these cancel assholes. And, um, and so uh, that, that calmed me down a little. I don't know whether she said that and, and that's why Cornell didn't try or whether Cornell actually were not a bunch of cowards and weren't going to try, I don't know. Um, she knew me well. Like when, when, they, when, they, when they tried to cancel me at 17, I'd never met her. I talked to her many times, but I'd never met her. The first time I met her, she gave me a hug. I mean, I, I, so, so in any case, um, I was told that Cornell had no case against me. They couldn't do it. And I, I, I went through my head a thousand times how I would imagine the court case going. Um, Grant Williams, by the way, had a battle with his former employer that he, I read the entire court transcript. I don't know if anyone else has seen it. He won big because he was on the right side. Um, in any case, so, so I felt better, but you know, I'm so glad they, I, I used to say I'm glad I'm old, and then I realized, no, there's no logic in that. I'm glad that these 
douchebags waited till I was old. That's a better way of phrasing it. If I was 45, I'd be in a terrible dilemma now because right now I've got funding till I'm 70. That's when I thought I'd retire. And so I, everything's fine. I can, I realize that I don't have to go to work again. I mean, I have to teach occasionally right now, Max, I'm not teaching this semester just by chance, but um, I realize I, I, I can just collect salary and do my research and just, and then quit, right? And, and but if I was 45, that's not an option. Uh, and, and so uh, they did damage. So I was a consultant Pfizer for 20 years and, and, um, and, and they had been clipping their consultants back. And actually by October, they were starting to talk about doing Zoom consulting, which was really gonna suck balls bad. So I'm already thinking, I don't even know if I wanna do this anymore. But they'd cut their consultants way, way back and I'd made all the cuts and then this happened and they made one more cut, right? And, and, and when I got an email saying, can we chat tomorrow? I said, oh, I know what this is. Um, I heard of a story, we, we did some great collaborations with Genentech, really worked beautifully actually. And I, I, one of my students who's there, he's there because of the collaborations. He, he said he saw minutes of a meeting where it was sort of kind of a town hall meeting and someone raised their hand and said, you know, I see we collaborate with David Collum. Can we find more reputable people to collaborate with? So, you know, this, this has gotten into a lot of nooks and crannies. And so I, I'm not hurt by it. I'm, I'm a little hateful. I don't think I'll ever shake that. Um, I'm fessing up the things that I'd rather the cancel crowd doesn't even know because, because I, I hate to give them victory. Here's a funny one. They wrote a lot of articles about me being, stepping down as DUS as director of undergraduate studies. They made it seem like it was some big fucking job at Cornell. Um, that would be like my wife telling me that I'm no longer allowed to do the dishes. That, that it, it, as director of undergraduate studies, it is a, the shittiest job you could imagine. What I do is I, I decide whether transfer credits from another school can be used towards Cornell graduation. That seems to be my entire job, besides occasionally answering emails that the students could have answered themselves if they had just gone to our website. And I, there's just not much else, and I don't know what else they're supposed to be, but there, it's just crap. The reason I took it over is because the guy who had it before me was fried. And I, I said to the chair, I said, give it to me. Now, as a former chair, you don't normally become director of undergraduate studies. It's really a, a shitty job. But uh, I said, just give it to me, I'll do it. It's not that hard. Um, and then I got knocked out of that. And they, they said, oh, we got Colin finally. I go, yeah, 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 that really hurt. It's like, now it's a shitty job because of all the, uh, the sheltering. It turns out it became a big job because we're trying to patch the whole, the whole protocol together. The DUS became an important position. So I'm glad I missed that too. That was good. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate all you hipsters uh, hammering me. That was very good. How, well, how many, obviously the people at the, school newspaper are Cornell students, but how many people outside of Cornell had never met you, never had your class, never even known about you before the tweet uh, uh, contributed to the pressure that, that led to this weird... Oh, round number, 5,000. 5,000 signed the change.org petition to get me fired. There was graffiti outside. The, there were some like five different graffitis on campus one day. Someone went around say fire column. One was right outside the door of my building. So I had our maintenance guys clean it went off pretty fast. Um, 
these are super assholes. The really disturbing thing here is, um, is that we've raised this generation. And I didn't raise my kids to do shit like this. And, and I, maybe they could, and I'm oblivious to the fact that, 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 that I didn't succeed as much, but, but one of my kids is sort of left-leaning and one of them's brighter than me, which is scary. Um, but but the, these kids somehow have been told stuff starting in daycare all the way up through high school. And you know, oftentimes college gets blamed for turning them into these little Nazi Marxist types. Um, it's not college doing it. They're already incredibly, incredibly primed. So you, you take one of these kids, you put them in a, on, in a humanities course. Next thing you know, they're, they're doing their Che Guevara thing. And, um, and they just don't get it. There, there was a poll done at UNC where something like 25% of the UNC kids said that they would not be friends of someone of the opposite political persuasion. 25%. That, that those kids are fucked up. They, they're damaged goods. They're, 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 I, the parents should yank them out of college and make them, make them put up sheetrock for a while or something. So what do you think particularly about early schooling or the culture the kids are growing up in today is contributing uh, to this? Is it that everybody gets a trophy? Well, it's not just that. So, so what starts out as a seemingly innocuous series of ideas about everyone mattering, right? Pretty soon morphs into a, by the way, the white guys are bad. Um, there was actually a lot of problems during the sheltering in some of the schools where teachers wanted to sign a no, no, uh, no peaking, uh, um, have the parents sign something said they wouldn't watch the kids getting Zoom Zoom taught because they were afraid that parents would hear what the fuck they're getting taught. And so, you know, th these kids start getting taught. You know, I think being tolerant of all race, creeds, color, shapes, personal preferences, you name it. You know, orientations is fine, but but it but it's getting rammed on their throats. And, and so by the time, you know, things, if you look at that, there's a woman at the Wall Street Journal who wrote a book on transgender, which is fine. It, it's got to be an exceedingly rare thing, a real transgender. It's got to be a pretty, pretty, pretty rare bird. But um, I'm highly sympathetic to that person. I, I can't believe how hard it must be to be going through that, right? That, that's it. Middle school, high school, hard enough without that. But, but now they're finding that they're clustering. You can have middle schools with 50 transgender kids. That's not biology anymore. That's not, that's not the biological basis of transgender. That's peer pressure. That's, that's weird stuff. And uh, she started studying it. She, she had no ax to grind. And she was on Rogan. I can't remember her name. But she started studying it because she just got interested. And she said, the transgender activist community are it's nightmarish. It's now one of these things where um, the pressure to to not even question a kid who says they're transgender, they're given hormone shots to, to young kids before they even know what the hell sex is. They don't know what gender is, but their friends think they're on the wrong body, so they they think so too. And she said that if you actually look at the demographics, um, a lot of these kids are what you would have said in some previous era would just end up being gay. 
but somehow, and I've asked a lot of my gay friends, how did we go from being gay to being transgender? I, I don't, is, what am I missing here? And they don't understand. The answers I always get is, I, I don't know. I don't even pay attention to that. They, and so that the gay community seems to not be fully aligned with the transgender community either. And so, um, and so there's just, all, you're being taught so many things. You're being taught that Columbus is a bad guy. You know, humans have been conquering each other as long as humans have, have been tribal. And so to say, you know, these white guys are bad because they conquered. So it's like, excuse me, show me, show me a race, creed, or color that doesn't have a history of conquering. I don't hear the Brits bitching about the Angles or the Saxons or the Vikings, right? It's just, it is what it is. And, uh, and you know, I have problems with the American Indians, not because we, um, not because we defeated them. Um, that that's a normal process in the history of humans, and it's, it's ugly. But humans are ugly. Uh, the pro the problem I have with it is after we're interacting with them, we signed contracts with them, and then broke those. I go, okay, now we've got a problem, right? I don't think they're going to get their land back, although there's some evidence that might not be true. But um, but I think that breach is far more egregious than just coming to some new world and conquering people. That 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 was so part of the human existence, and, and it's not it's not something to be proud of. But it, we're animals. Yeah, and that's what's particularly dangerous about the rhetoric that's going around right now. It's just people just using race to divide, to in yeah, my like opinion. the media, like the media. Yeah, well, the media is arguably the propaganda arm for a lot of this overt Marxist movement uh, throughout the country, and, and the riots were were peaceful protests. Uh, there's a lot of parroting of of the narratives. There's no mention of the fact that. Black Lives Matter, the organization, is actually run by Marxists. Obviously, Black Lives Matter, the statement, is a true and statement. The money was flowing straight to the DNC. I heard that as well. I'm not. I can't confirm that, but I, yeah, I've I heard. Tried. The, I've tried. Supposedly, part of the written record is that this that the Black Lives Matter donated a bunch to. I think it's called Act One. And Act One is a pack that give, give, gives it straight to the DNC. So I, I, I think the, the, the Black Lives Matter, the organization, not the movement, um, is, is uh, corrupt. There's a great quote I'm going to use. I don't remember who, but they said, every movement becomes a business and ends up a wreck. And, and that really says it well. So um, I think movements nowadays are relentlessly getting hijacked. So it's let's go way back. The Tea Party says we're pissed. We want to be the Tea Party. Next thing you know, they get grabbed up by the Republicans and are now the Tea Party wing of the Republican Party. So they get sort of brought back in the fold by giving them their adjective. And um, I think there are certainly legitimate uh, activists who 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 march on various cities to to raise awareness of various topics like, like, you know, brutality, police brutality, things like that. But um, I think I'm probably going to write a section on the, the anatomy of a, of a protest. And there's a lot of players in it. And so if you, you're in the middle of some park or something and it's 12 o'clock noon and you're protesting, 
um, that's First Amendment stuff, right? That, that's, that's what we're supposed to do. If it's 12 o'clock at night in Portland or Chicago and you're in the middle of a protest, you're part of the problem. That's not free speech anymore to me because, because it's a virtual certainty that that's going to turn violent. So you have blood on your hands. Man, you, you might have the right to do it. You do. But when there's one of these protests, which is guaranteed to be violent, there are a lot of players. So first are the people who believe, sincerely believe, lie detector tests could be passed. There's the iPhone crowd, right? The ones who are walking around the perimeter just hoping to get the shot of shots and they're just, they're rubberneckers, right? But rubberneckers, when they go by accidents, cause problems, right? And then you got the bad guys. And the bad guys, I think, are, I've now concluded once and for all that they're highly organized. Um, the, 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 the delivery of pallets of bricks and stuff, I think, is real. The, uh, some guy did a great analysis. He went to a bunch of the protests. And he, he sort of started to pick apart the structure of them. And he started seeing the same faces in different cities and stuff like that. And, and if they sensed you were not one of them, they'd ride your ass out of there. He said he had to go change his clothes and change his, his garb and put on a new mask, get back in to, to see more, stuff like that. He, uh, and so, so, so the reason you have a curfew, right? You put in a curfew so that all the honest people go home so that what's left can be dealt with. And it's, I've heard that the reason you put locks on your door to keep the honest people out, dishonest people are going to break it, but the honest people won't come in. Uh, and so, so if you're a rubbernecking iPhone toting, um, participant in the protests and they go violent, you played a role, you're, you're providing cover for the relatively small number of bad people. But that small number did enormous damage. Um, now here's the spookiest goddamn thing of all, and this, this, this really bothers me to no end, and that is that, um, so the Democrats realized, finally, God, they seem stupid to me sometimes, um, that supporting the what you call the peaceful protest with the flames going on behind them, right? That that that, that, that farcical statements being made that they're peaceful protests, largely peaceful. You know, Charles Manson was largely nonviolent. Um, the um, the Democrats finally realized they were on the wrong side of this. They was getting hung on them, so they've signed off bad stuff. They've been signing. I don't that. Democratic voters, I have no problem with. The Democratic Party is just a loser and a half to me. So they, they lose badly and they lose badly in 16. What's the message? Put up a guy who's demented and a grifter on the ticket, right? What, what an off, what an awful, they lose again. They're gonna have no one to blame but themselves. Um, there's so many people I could vote for instead of Trump. There's so many I could. But uh, so, so the, so, so the Democrats finally realize they're in trouble. And how do you know? Well, the first thing that happens is, I think it was probably Don Lemon on CNN, which is the propaganda arm of the Democratic Party, um, starts talking about how we, the violence has to stop, right? First time ever. Until then, Don Lemon was just spewing the garbage that Don Lemon spews. And he and Chris Cuomo also are saying the violence has to stop. Within a day or two, the politicians are out on the podium saying the violence has to stop. And here's what happened after 97 days of protests in Portland, for example. The violence stopped. Now, the violence that we saw looked out of control. 
right? It just had this angry mob feel to it. And the question I ask is if, if Don Lemon and the Democratic power structure can turn the violence off like a switch, then they probably turned it on. That's my conclusion. So I believe the violence was political from start to finish. I think they turned it on because they thought they could turn it into it, uh, you know, Orange Man is bad campaign issue. I think they blew it badly. Uh, if that's true, I think there's many people who should be thrown in jail for a very long time because a lot of damage, a lot of, you know, deaths, cops getting shot, people getting shot. Um, but I do believe that if, if you look at the, the history of these, these they're, they're just not, aren't riots. Once in a while, something flares up because there's some testy hipster or some, some Antifa guy who doesn't realize that, that there's been an armistice, you know, deal, gets mad at someone and does something. But there's, there's no organized violence now. And it, and it turned off within about a two or three day window. So then the question is, if you can turn it off by declaring it bad, you turned it on. That's my conclusion. It was so weird when it, the riots first started breaking out. It's how spontaneous they were and where they were, like Sioux Falls, South Dakota, um, and a bunch of random cities throughout the United States where it was surprising, at least to me, to see that there was a organized and motivated group of individuals throughout each city uh, well, willing yeah. to riot and prepared to riot at the pace at which these broke out. Um, I might have even written about this, but I certainly talked about many years ago when we were talking about when the risks were not um, neo-Marxist, but rather um, uh, uh, Arabs, right? So so uh, radical lobbyists, whatever you want. Uh, the guys who supposedly hit the World Trade Center. Um, I was said it would be so trivial to cause pandemonium in the United States, not by hitting the Twin Towers, but by going to Peoria and wreaking havoc in Peoria. And the example I used to have is I said, look, if you drove around Peoria at four o'clock in the morning with a couple of vans full of Molotov cocktails, you could have the entire city burning down before the cops got their shoes on. And, 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 and I always wondered why uh, the enemies of the United States didn't do this. It, it never, it seemed like such a, we're such a soft target. And I never understood why they didn't. Now, from that queue, the rioters, which I believe, again, I think there's a core organization within the riots, and you can talk whether it's George Soros or not, I don't know, but there's a core group. Um, and you can watch these guys, they just go down the street to smash windows. They figured out to go after the suburbs, right? And that's very, very scary to me because I live in the suburbs, right? And uh, they started hitting the suburbs. You saw the lawyer and his wife trying to hold them back and stuff like that. And, uh, and uh, you can't win that battle against them. There's too many of them. And one of the scariest conclusions from this year is that when the mob decides they're going to do it, uh, the police can't control them. <sighs> but... Does it get to a point where you piss off all the armed Americans in the suburbs and then well, you can control them? But that's a civil war. Well, but sleeping with a shotgun is not good either, right? Yeah. Well, this is actually something I posited to a couple of other guests on this podcast, and 
the last month, like, if there is a civil war, will you only be able to identify it in retrospect? And will future historians identify it as starting at some point? Well, we're past? identifying it now. So if there is one, it means we, we've nailed it, right? Like the Kyle Rittenhouse situation is is the go-to. Like that That's violence. a fascinating one. You know, so Kyle Rittenhouse, um, there's videos that tear it apart and say, look, this guy was not a bad kid. There's an interesting single piece of data that that will hurt Kyle in court. And that's a piece of data where a shouting match breaks out between a bunch of teenagers. I looked pretty carefully at this video to see, to make sure it was Kyle, right? I think it was. And this argument breaks out. And next thing you know, there's Kyle beating the shit out of some girl. And so the, the Kyle, you know, angelic Kyle is, is the sweetheart of a kid's story, which, which is lawyers have created. And, and it's a pretty credible looking story as presented. Um, it gets a little undermined by that video. Yeah. No, I agree. That video is pretty gruesome. And he is a, a complete scumbag for beating, that girl. Beat, beating a girl. Right. But the, the point I'm trying to get is like, Putting that aside, just the the fact that a seventeen year old felt compelled to right. go and protect businesses across state lines, like I think he's also going to get dinged for bringing a weapon across state lines, um, the type of weapon that he did at that. But it should have never got to the point where he felt compelled to do that. And so the night before Wakosha, the videos were coming out like that guy who was trying to protect his, his mattress firm or something like that. Somebody threw a Molotov cocktail in. He had a, uh, a fire extinguisher and went right. getting, getting knocked out. Yeah, pretty and, badly. Actually. He got cocked pretty good. Um, and that was a due to the fact that the police didn't want to step in. They were outnumbered in the riots. Yeah, and you, just the point I'm trying to get at is we're in this weird situation where conflict's almost encouraged because – the police don't want to step in because people are protesting. Or they're because, being held back. Yeah. They were held I, back. I, I, I don't blame the police per se not wanting to step in. I, I don't, you know, the problem is if there, if there was a real dilemma, if there was a mob in front of someone's house, I, I just don't think the police have the firepower at this point to do anything. But if you've got a mayor like Portland who calls them off, then you've got a real problem. There's, there's a couple of videos that show both how you oppose the mob and show sort of the inklings of a civil war. Because to oppose the mob that's, that's determined to do problems requires something more than just saying, hey guys, why don't you go home? A um, couple of videos. One was uh, a sheriff of some county in Texas. And, and they knew that the mob was planning on going into the burbs. And he stood up in front of the microphone. I, let's call it Smithville. I don't remember the name, so I'll give it the name Smithville. He stands up in front of the mic, mic and he says, well, I want, I want the protesters to know that people in Smithville have guns. And he said, they love their guns. And if you go cause trouble, and you try to break into their house, they're going to blow your head off. And... And I'm thinking, and then someone that got posted and someone said, oh, he's never going to get reelected. I go, are you kidding me? He just got a life term as, as sheriff of that town. He's, he's going to be sheriff forever with that kind of uh, uh, stuff. And then the, the other one was, was one where they knew they were heading for the burbs. 
and there's this unbelievable video where they're the, the protesters were walking along the street and about every 10 feet is a guy with a gun. And there's women standing there with holsters and the women are like looking at their nails like they're not paying attention. And it's just deadly quiet. And they get to the, the end of the road and you can tell this could turn into a killing field if something goes wrong. They get to the end of the road and there's a couple of cops leaning against the car and they, they go by the cop. Ops, the cop says, have a nice day. And so that's the, uh, the militia model of the opposition. But that, 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 that then becomes the civil war we're talking about. Yes. How do we avoid this? I would argue the well, people on both sides. I think you got to get the protesters to quit heading to the burbs for starters. I, I don't, you know, just because George Floyd got killed doesn't mean you get to go to the burbs and wreak havoc. No, I agree. I, I don't know how you stop that. No, I mean, last week, another overnight pro or riot, excuse me, broke out in Wisconsin over uh, a cop killing an aggressive armed civilian. I believe both individuals involved were, were black, but it just, yeah. How much of the lockdowns factor into this, people just being at home? Well, so um, the lockdown factor, I think, played several roles. One is it, it, it mobilized an army of protests, right? You don't protest till deep into the night if you got to get up at seven to go to work. You don't. So, so for example, the, uh, the Antifa guys who get arrested. Now, I think the cops were arresting targeted people. So I, here, here's what I think happened. I think the cops had plainclothes guys in the riots. I think they were prowling around. They had their backpack trying to look like people, normal people. I, I saw this great video where some guy looked like he's about to start causing some trouble and some, some plainclothes guy tackles him. Then all of a sudden, they, they, a couple other guys jump on him and they escort him to the police line. But what I noticed was the guy who tackled him the minute the other guy showed up, he disappeared. I go, that was the cop. He was in charge of the takedown. The rest were in charge of getting him out of there. So I think the cops were trying to figure out who the real problems were and arresting them. If you look at the Antifa mugshots, you find, first of all, they look like, they look like lineups of, of pedophiles, right? If, if you say here, you know, Tompkins County sex offenders, you know, and their heads are all crooked and shit. They look like something went wrong in their lives. Um, the Antifa guys look kind of like that. And, um, and it, 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 the problem is, is that there's a high density of teachers. There's a high density of teachers. And so these are people who would have been teaching for starters, but, but also shows you that these are the people teaching our kids. And so um, and the cops, you know, Andy know this really unbelievably gutsy guy who goes into these riots and gets beat up occasionally and, and, and uh, they all know him. Um, he got a cement milkshake thrown at his face. Oh, this year. yeah, he got knocked out. He's got he's got a bunch of beatings. And uh, and he and now he started announcing he started showing doc, he started doxing people, showing their mugshot, showing they arrested. And then he'd always say and was released that night. He just kept saying and was released that night. So he's trying to also shame the system for just letting him out, letting him out. And then the guys who Kyle Rittenhouse shot. Again, you don't get to get shot just because you're a bad person, but they had track records of a higher order. So they, they, they had rap sheets. So um, they were not shooting kindergarten teachers. That and Kyle did not 
blow apart kindergarten teachers. He blew apart people who themselves were sketchy as hell. So why were they there? Right. Good question. Yeah. It's, and it's weird seeing one of the political parties in this country champion these people. Again, going back to the bailout funds that were created, a lot of those people getting released, if not because the DA has reduced the uh, the jailable offenses and the threshold for, for staying in jail, or they were bailed out by some of the bailout funds that were created. It seems like a yeah, last... Yeah, the Hollywood elite donating money for bail. Yeah. Right. And here's the silver lining of the sheltering is that the Hollywood elite desperately groped to be relevant. The one thing you discover by watching them in an unsupported setting, right? They were sitting in their basements or sitting in their bedrooms doing podcasts and stuff. You realize they were not only human, but they sucked. <laughs> so you, you watch these late night, like Seth Myers, right? You realize that he makes David Spade looked like a cheery bastard. And, and he, he's not funny. And without people in the audience laughing, the, the laugh track and all that crap, you realize he's just worthless. He just does nothing. Some of them held up okay, but you saw all these people and they were just trying to stay relevant. And when they, they, got, they got interviewed in their, their natural setting, you know, they're just people. There's nothing special about them. And I think it hurt them a lot, actually. And so the, you know, the Academy Awards being the most PC thing in history um, had a terrible, terrible showing in terms of viewer audience, almost as bad as uh, the NBA. And, uh, and I think the average person's getting kind of pissed off at this stuff. So I'm encouraged by that. The average person saying, look, I'm not a racist. Don't tell me I'm a racist. I don't want to hear about racism when I'm tuning into basketball. I don't want to hear about racism when I'm watching a movie, right? The uh, Screen Guild decided that you would not be eligible for a Best Picture award unless you had you had to check various boxes. I'm going, you know, uh, that's fine because your pictures all suck now, anyways. They they just stink. They just they're, stink. They're all remakes. Well, they're not only remakes, but I watched this. My wife took me the the sequel to Mama Mia. It's a, it's a musical, and uh, we get to the theater and there's like. 50 women and four guys and the four guys we were actually kind of high-fiving because we all noticed that we had paid our dues to go with our wives to this wretched movie now what was noticeable the there there's in the movie there's two generations there's there's time lapses and one's the older guys and they were reasonable leading men right pierce brosnan i think was one they were the kind of men you know okay that's what the young guys we're just pussies. I'm looking at them. Going, <laughs> I'm going, you know, I could take these guys. These are not leading men. I could take these guys. I'm 65 years old. I could take them. And, uh, and, and you're going, you know, they're, they're now going to, now the leading men can't show anything masculine. I'm going, well, that's great. Enjoy yourself while I don't watch your goddamn movie. Right. It's just now, meanwhile, Hollywood still, this is amazing to me. They talk about all this, you know, the Me Too stuff. And then what's the favorite scene on TV? The favorite scene is where some guy takes some chick, picks her up, slams her on the desk and bangs her lights out. You go, I don't remember her saying, um, I agree to that. Right. That's just raw animal instance, but that's still okay. 
to, to hammer some girl right on the desk, sweep your arm across and knock all the stuff on the floor and slam away. And that's still okay by the Hollywood elite. Hey, sex sells. You know, you got Sex sells. And, and they're whores, and so they're good at the sex. And so it works fine. <sighs> I do think people are at their wits' end with all this stuff because it seems like a forced. Yep, I am. So let's talk about the combination of things going around. We've got the COVID, uh, the shutdown set ensued because of it. We're in an election I'd love year. I forget to tell you what the Buffalo story was, though. Oh, Hang on to that thought. Hang on to that thought. All right. We, okay. <coughs> um, we'll bring it back to the Buffalo story. But to put things in context. 2020, COVID shutdowns, uh, which have led to an economic crisis, which, you've, which led to a bunch of riots over the summer. And now uh, we're less than a month away from the election. The Both, election. Oh. What? Both sides seem to be posturing like they're not going to uh, concede to the other side, whether or not one wins or one doesn't. Uh, and uh, oh, here's the question, Mark. we have like the question of if we're not going to if we're going to open the economy or not and when. It seems like such bad timing to have the election. Let me flip that and say, would we have had all these problems if there wasn't an election? That's the point I'm trying to make, too. Like, is yeah, much... but the, one could argue that all these, one could argue the sheltering would be different, uh, everything would be different, the protests would be different. If they're turning the the, the 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 riots on and off like a spigot, they're doing it for a reason, then the election would be the best guess. Yes. And so I would argue the election may be causal, not just poorly timed. It's... Sir, how about the chicken... Um, who's in charge of the COVID uh, team in, in Los Angeles County. She gets interviewed and they say, when are you going to take the kids back to school? Right? When are the kids going back to school? The kids are getting killed in this. The kids hate this. They need to be social. It's like Little House on the Prairie. All you have to do is look at your brother and sister. And she says twice after the election, Someone really? beat her, right? Send her out into the riots. See if you can hit her with a brick. I don't care. I'm, I'm just so pissed off. That's enough to get me in trouble right there. Is she the one who looks like the Crypt Keeper? I don't know. I, I only heard the audio. But yeah, uh, wouldn't shock me. But she uh, said after the election, that's when they're going to let him back in school, after the election. If you support sheltering because of the election, or if you support opening up into maybe what's a highly risky situation because of the election, you're both immoral. We should be trying to get this right based on health, based on economics, based on people's mental health. Um, the other day, three prominent biomedical guys came out and wrote a letter saying, stop sheltering. This is, this is a disaster. They went through all the case. 32,000 healthcare workers signed that letter. Right. I mean, it's becoming blatantly obvious, I believe, the new... The guy who's replacing Fauci is Trump's lead advisor uh, on COVID. I forget, Scott Adams, maybe, or Scott something. Yeah, uh, yeah, he looks familiar to me. I never quite figure out why I know his face. Uh, but you yeah, I mean, get Fauci out of there. Fauci's a problem. Fauci was Fauci was pretending to be neutral, but he he was um, he was an obstructionist, in my opinion. I can see places where. I go, he did not have to do that. And he did that. He's, he, there's something about Fauci who he was trying to keep himself from getting ostracized by Trump while at the same time uh, getting in the way of Trump. Very subtle. Yeah, it's, 
it's still a very controversial topic. Like, who's right? So Fauci has one point of view, which is we need to lock down until we can find a vaccine. Make yeah, sure I don't buy that safe. at all. At all. Neither do I. And right. the other the other side is, which I agree with, I would argue you do, the the externalities of locking down are going to have far greater cost than actually just letting this virus burn through the population, particularly in the economic downturn and the effects that will have on individuals, their health and their well-being, their mental well-being specifically. Uh, like you mentioned children, uh, schools, even though they teach pretty terrible things within uh, their walls, the teachers do do one good thing, which is help identify abuse. And so you have uh, child abuse going unreported. Uh, you had something like 50% of chemo patients not show up for appointments over right. the last six months. And, and cancer detections plummeted, which means people weren't getting tested. Yeah. By the way, I just got my results this morning. I do not have prostate cancer. Congratulations. I have a motherfucking big prostate. Um, yeah, there's a there's a joke in there somewhere, Marty. Um, yeah, and and you know there's there's um there's a melancholy in society. It's an old fashioned word. There's an even more old fashioned word called acedia, and it, it's a kind of a, a pall hanging over everybody. And so I, I'm not going to lose my job, at least not until after this this podcast. Um, and 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 a lot of people aren't, but there's still the uncertainty still weighs heavily on everyone. The uncertainty of just where are we gonna be? I had a friend tell me there's this seriously left wing friend of mine who we can sit there for hours and talk about this shit, and and we don't get in fights. I don't know who which of us gets credit for it. I think it actually is both. But we can compare notes, and I can make my case, and he can counter. We can go all night long and not get in fights, and he. One of the things he said was, he said, I think masks are here to stay. I go, no. He said, no, I think you're gonna just be wearing a mask inside stores. I said, fuck no, fuck no. And I'm not getting a chip stuck in my neck by Bill Gates, right? We, we, you really have to fight this. Now, you want a civil war, you start putting refit chips in people. That, that's when we should lock and load and get the help and say no. That's when we should say, no, it's not worth it to you to try to make us put chips in us. Also, I do want to chip. Here's where we put on our tinfoil hats. I mentioned before we had recorded the conversation I had with Whitney Webb yesterday and some of the things she's been reporting on, particularly around, particularly around Operation Warp Speed, which is the Trump administration's operation to get a vaccine to market um, in, in a timely manner, quote-unquote timely manner. Uh, I don't think... They're too focused on safety, though some trials have been stopped due to people falling ill to the test vaccines. But the combination of that operation, which is being led by a bunch of defense contractors who are working in conjunction with Google and Big Pharma, Big Pharma to create the vaccine, and then Google to trace the individuals that get the vaccine over a two-year period uh, is what is being uh, marketed via some of the documents that are coming out of this operation. Yeah, dear viewers, just just to the extent possible, hold the line on it. Just don't do it. So I'm talking to uh, I'm talking to uh, our disease specialist in town. We have an infectious disease guy in town. Our hospital's big enough to have one of those. And, uh, and I had a, a, 
a Zoom with them because um, because I'm a believer in HCQ. Now, there's people who say, well, Dave's nuts then because HCQ has been shown to be wrong. No, HCQ has not been shown to be bad. HCQ, every single goddamn trial on HCQ suffers from fundamental flaws to the point that you say, you know, you guys keep missing it every time. Is there a reason for this? I'm getting more paranoid with age here because I keep seeing stuff. I go, the world just looks so different than it's supposed to be to me. So yet another clinical trial came out and they compared HCQ and azithromycin and, and, and I posted it. So it got posted by a chem blogger and he said, you know, can we now finally shut the hell up? HCQ doesn't do anything. And I don't want to hear any, I don't want to hear any more about this. You didn't have zinc and this and that. And I go, well, so I responded to the guy and I said, I said, if a grad student walks in my office and says the reaction didn't work, and I started asking about it. He says, well, I didn't bother to add the zinc. I go, go back to the lab. You need zinc. You left out an ingredient. You know, Betty Crocker wouldn't say, well, I didn't bother to put in baking soda. You need baking soda. And, and the question then becomes is, why would they do this trial and leave out the zinc? It's like saying, everyone thinks zinc's involved. Let's, give, let's, tell, let's have every patient take a, a multiple vitamin every, with it, right? Why not? There's no harm. And they didn't. And so then, then, uh, then I, I posted and I said, you know, it really would have been nice if they included the zinc. And then Chris Martinson chimes in and says, spotted stuff I didn't even spot. And, and he, said, he said, it was way too late. So they were looking at, again, chronically ill people, which means, you know, if your liver and brain are fried, nothing's going to fix that. You're already a goner. It's already eaten your organs. And so he, I didn't know so it was that late. I knew they were hospitalized, which troubled me. But he seems to think they were way too late. You want to find out you're positive. I get tested twice a week and then start wolfing down that HCQ and the zithromycin and zinc. That's what's said to work. And so I have access to it. Um, and uh, But I'm talking to... Uh, and so, so the other thing that Chris said was that... Um, 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 was that they were dosing them at toxic levels. So they actually were giving the patients massive doses of HCQ. And Chris knows this stuff. He knows the dose. He's got his, his followers all have HCQ locked and loaded for if they get sick. Well, well I have two instances just in my immediate circle. Uh, one of a cousin who has lupus and she takes HCQ every day. Fine. Uh, and another, which is actually more pertinent to this conversation, is a family friend whose entire extended family, wife, daughter, sons, uh, tested positive for COVID in May or June, I forget which, but earlier this year. And he was on HCQ for another reason, some heart-related problem, I believe, uh, just taking it as essentially... Prophylactically, right. Yes, and he... Was the only one in his family who who didn't test positive. Anecdotal, obviously, but for that's all we have because the douchebags quit blowing. They they, they keep blowing the, the the trials. Yeah, and so and that's that irritates me to no end because I think it's premeditated. I don't think you could possibly do that without. And in the article, they mentioned zinc, but they didn't give it to their patients. And I keep saying, why would you do that? It would have been so easy to say, okay, out of these 5,000 people, let's give 1,500 of them zinc also. 
Well, <clears throat> but it was or, it was flawed from head to toe. Why? Why do they keep blowing this? So when when they've I, I have a timeline in which the actions get more and more rational. At the start of the virus, no one knew it was happening. Panicking made sense. Um, locking we were, down. We were panicking on this podcast, like early I, February. No, we were going back and forth trying to figure out what's real, what's not. Um, I don't even blame Cuomo for putting people in nursing homes, although I can't quite reconstruct an argument for why that's a good idea. But I go, you know, in the heat of battle, stupid things happen. Tillman gets shot. You know, things like that happen. Um, for that, him to then go all sanctimonious for the next six months and tell us how bad everyone else is, he should shut up. He, I, he should fess up. He should say, yeah, I made a mistake. That was not a good idea. I get it. We were panicking. Um, He's able to go get those softballs from his brother on CNN. He yeah, have to tell the hard brother's questions. a hypocrite of the century. At least he can lift weights. Um, <clears throat> so then, um, so, so, so that's what bothers me. And then <clears throat> the further along we get, the more clear it becomes that this, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I had a cough out viruses on my, my microphone. Um, it, it, you, it, it looks to me like the virus is attenuating. And so uh, it's, it looks to me like it's becoming less lethal. And you say, well, how is that possible? Well, it turns out at the turn of the century, vicinity of the 1918 flu, uh, they did rat studies. They showed that if you serially inject rats with each generation, it seems to get less and less lethal. Now, there was no selection pressure. Biologists will know why I'm saying this. There was no selection for survivors. They went through rats serially, and it just became less lethal. And, 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 and less, less, uh, less acute. And so whether that's because it starts uh, mutating into minor forms and they help trigger the immune system without killing the patient, I don't know, but, uh, but that seems to be true. I think the virus is doing that. That's what I think is happening. There's a lot of strains, a lot of strains of it now. And so if you look at the COVID counts, which are going up because everyone's testing, you know, Cornell does 5,000 tests per day. I just heard, by the way, the other day, it got into one of our local nursing homes. So I think there's going to be some fatalities in the county soon because those guys are going to get it. Um, but Cornell does 5,000 tests a day. At one point a few weeks ago, I heard there were something like 40,000 positives on college campuses and no hospitalizations. Why are we teaching remotely? I, I, now, I kind of get it because when a parent hands you their kid and says, please take care of them, one of the ways you do it is you say, okay, we're going to keep them from this, we're going to protect them from this, we're going to test their ass off. When you take possession of some mom's kid, you don't get to say, oh, you know what we're going to do? We're going to try herd immunity. We'll tell you how that works for you. You know, we'll, kid gets sick, you know, well, it was a good idea. Is a sample size of 40,000 good enough sample size? Well, now you do. And so now you've got prominent players out there saying, stop. Don't do this anymore. It was bad. The head of Sweden's COVID team, and many will know that Sweden pretty much kept their society open. They, they sort of socially distanced, but they, they, they went to cafes and stuff. Um, he said that he thinks the biggest mistake they made was telling people to wear masks. Really? I yeah. haven't heard that yet. Yeah, it's a pretty, uh, there's a lot of weird shit out there. Um, and so I, I think, I think the virus is coming to an end. Here's what I think is going on. I think the, uh, the vaccination squad, which as you've pointed out, 
is a mega buck operation. Now they've already been paid, so it's not like they're gonna lose money, right? Moderna's already received way more money than that whole company was remotely worth. Um, Moderna's vaccine, by the way, is causing serious side effects. And, and, and uh, their upper echelon have sold out all their shares. Huh. They've sold, there's a number of high command guys in Moderna who sold every last share. They've all been liquidating, but some sold them all. Would you take their vaccine? No, I, would I mean, I'm not, I'm not taking any of these vaccines. Just well, I'm not either. By the way, the infectious disease guy I chatted with for about a half an hour so that I could find out how to get positioned so I have a, a test positive. I can say, okay, now I'm going to be prophylactic from this moment on. Um, I asked him, would you get in line to get the vaccine? He said, no. And so I, know t I, don't, I don't know anyone who says yes to that question. So they have a real problem. So there's videos out there, Bill Gates and various people saying, how do we force people to get the vaccine? I'm going, you don't force people to get a vaccine. And, and I, there's people out there, I, I think they're nitwits, but there's people who think we should all shelter because there are people at risk. I go, how about the people at risk sheltering? Someone said, well, how, how do you separate the young from the old? And I go, you shelter the old. Right. Instead, you're saying we all have to just hang out in the house. Right. No, that makes no sense. And something like 80 percent of the spread happens in homes. Or right. Something like that. Well, is... you know, a bottom line is if you want to shelter, you can shelter. But I don't want to shelter. I don't have to shelter. Um, I understand the flatten the curve. That made sense because we didn't know what's happening. And of course, Cuomo caused an explosion in New York City with his nursing home trick. Um, may not have been the cause, but it correlates. Uh, and so New York got hit fast. Um, the other problem that Sweden suffers from, oftentimes they say, oh, look at all the dead guys in Sweden. Sweden got all their infections early. And so if the virus is attenuating, then Sweden got the worst. And so the argument for sheltering for a period is to let some other suckers get the virus and pass it along like the rats and get it to attenuate. Say, okay, now I'm going out because this thing's just the flu again. I, I, now, here's the part of the story I simply can't get my brain around, but have been trying to, and that is the long haulers. This virus may have the capacity, it does have the capacity to cause people to suffer badly. At first, I thought the long haulers, the ones who are not recovering, were the bad cases and their organs are perforated and they're feeling like shit and they did too much damage. The storyline, which I have no reason to doubt except for the fact the media lies constantly, the storyline is that no, there are people who are very mildly symptomatic in which their symptoms later are actually worse. The big fear, the monstrous, fear, or should I say the, the, the worst case scenario in my, my noggin is that we end up with something like a 9-11 first responder problem where all of a sudden we look up and all these kids who showed no symptoms, all these adults who just got a fluey-like thing and recovered start showing bad shit. And I don't have a good read on that. And, and if that turns out to be true, um, then, uh, then uh, I don't think you can shelter to protect from it. I think you just get your ass kicked. Yeah, and only time will tell.
if that's the case, right? We won't know until. Well, I, I think they could do a better job of monitoring the, the post infection people. I, I think they've done a best I can tell, not a very good job of saying, okay, uh, these people, they, they got sick. We treated them. They're better. Um, there's, there's stories of, of hospitals are saying, you know, we're, we got a lot of kids like high school football players who, who are just, you know, claiming they have serious fatigue. You know, doctors are saying we're, we're getting kids who, who seem to have a symptom that looked like it, maybe they had a, a low or no symptom COVID infection. And so I, 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 I am very much agnostic on the long hauler story. I talked to a woman on Twitter, which she's a, a support group. And, you know, the, the medical system should be your support group too. And I think they're blowing it maybe. Um, but she said her kid was a 12 year old long hauler. I'm going, oh, that's a rare bird, right? Hopefully, hopefully. And um, I asked her, I said, girl or boy? And she said, a girl, why do you ask? And, and what I had noticed by using Twitter and searches of long COVID long hauler, there's hashtags, they're all women. And you go, okay, women are babies. No, we know that's not true. They kick our asses daily, right? They're not to be, they're not to be reckoned with. And, uh, and what it reminded me of was, was autoimmune diseases, which women get pounded by like fibromyalgia, which I'm not sure the community totally signs off that being autoimmune, but that would be my guess. All sorts of problems because you know, women can't kill a fetus, so their bodies are on this razor edge. You, men fight wars against foreign bodies. Women have to kind of negotiate that. So I think, you know, the women have these odd problems, like they get, you know, circulation problems in their feet. And, you know, they get cold extremities. You know, there's a Renaud, not Renaud's, is it Renaud's? No, that's a dizzy syndrome. Your, your extremities get cold. Women have that, men don't, for the most part. It's not Marfan syndrome, is it? No, Marfan's is ligament tendon problems in tall people, right? Mm. You show me a guy who's 6'10", he's probably got Marfan's. Um, but it, it, there's a name for it. And, and, and that's why if you're married more than once, your wife has put her cold feet against your back and, and you wonder why she did that to you. Um, and so... Uh, so I think there's a pathology here that is not understood as my guess, or it's understood and it's not making it to the front page. It's not making it to Twitter. Um, but that's the thing I'm most interested in right now. Uh, there's a new theory as to why this thing kills you. People used to talk about a cytokine storm with the flu and people kind of draw an analogy. And there's another biomolecule called bradykinin, which I don't even know what it is. So we just reached the end of my scientific knowledge right there. I can kind of say the name, but uh, some, some, some uh, AI type guys um, mashed a lot of data and said, you know, points to bradykinin storm. And then they went through the literature and said, what, what would excess bradykinin do? And boy, there were a lot of, a lot of puzzle pieces fitting together. And it has, uh, uh, has uh, hemorrhagic problems that they're seeing. It has brain barrier problems that they're seeing, the brain fog, a lot of things lined up. The, the treatments for bradykinin problems happen to be those that are somehow showing positive behavior with COVID. And so there, there's, there's, some, uh, there's this one article that I read that it was a great story. 
you know, I can tell a story too that doesn't have to be true, but it was a great story. So they're getting their brain around it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's been interesting to see the opportunist, particularly in the high towers of the world, like the UN, World Health Organization, World Economic Forum, using COVID, the spread of COVID, the reaction to COVID as uh, an excuse and a conduit through which to push their agendas. So the World Economic Forum is really pushing the Great Reset. Uh, you're seeing Build Back Better come out from like Build London. Back Better. Yeah. Uh, great, great slogan there, Joey. Yeah. People are using this to push something that a lot of people have feared, which is a Green New Deal, global New World Order, um, which is like isn't even hard to say anymore because the World Economic Forum and actors like them are openly talking about a new world order. Um, of social cohesion and cooperation. Pretty weird stuff. Those Euro anchors sitting on stage talking about a reset, big reset and stuff. I'm going, you know, big resets generally don't don't help Joe Sixpack as much as they might like. No. It's like, again, like the Bill Gates and all the big pharma vaccine invested interest. I don't trust Gates at all at this point. I, so, I don't think he means evil. I think he's obsessed. Yeah. And he's already talking about like a, a second pandemic. Like a, he's obsessed. With, he, yeah. he, he's a man with a hammer and the whole world's a nail. He, so, so I started to get there. Um, I think this thing is burning out and I think the vaccine squad is afraid that they're going to be too late. So I think what they're going to do is they're going to put out a, they're going to keep the noise up, the noise levels up. I've gotten in a lot of Twitter fights where someone will say, well, you know, COVID cases are soaring in France and I'll show them a plot of the deaths and they're almost flatlined, right? They don't exist almost, right? Tiny numbers. It's amazing how much they harp on the, the cases and never... Well, because the, the death story fell apart. Now, the long hauler story is why you could argue that we should still be nervous, right? That, that's, that's, you know, I, I don't worry about mass is what way I used to, but the long hauler story is, is the one day. I'm on, I'm honestly not that worried about the long hauler story. Well, I, I've been trying to find out what's the probability of it. Well, good luck. Much, good numbers. How much of this highlight is how fucking out of shape we are as a country? Like well, how, I'm, I'm, how, I'm comorbid on that part. Yeah. Well, <laughs> my fault. I agree. I agree. I used to be in great shape. I was about 45, right down the tubes. You got to pick up the stick, start hitting the wall again. Start, start small. I should pick up my lacrosse stick, go play some wall ball or something. Yeah. Um, no, but not pointing or signaling you out specifically. You can't. My big failure in life is, is letting myself get out of shape after 40 times. Well, you can, you can extrapolate that to the whole goddamn country. Like how much yeah, of... There's a lot of us tumpsters. Um, by the way, on the keto intermittent fasting combo diet, right? I'm doing that too. How's it going for you? Well, I, I just start up again. It's sort of like after the shelter. I said, okay, you got some extra weight there, dude. I, way too much extra weight. If you knew how much I weighed when I, for example, took my first black belt test, it's, it's appalling. It's not even visible in the rearview mirror. But, um, but the great thing about the keto diet is in the first week or two, you drop a lot of pounds. So it gives you that reinforcement. Um, 
I don't quite, I, I'm, my brain is struggling with the question of, um, I'm heard, I've heard NFL trainers say you go, you go low carb and then once a week carb the shit on yourself. And anyone who's been on the keto diet, potentially multiple times, um, uh, knows that you, you seem to hit walls. And I've always thought that your body is trying to find some way to correct. Your body's fighting it. And, and as a consequence, um, it seems to me that maybe you need to occasionally get a bolus of carbs to get the, the, the anti-carb machinery back into gear or something. Very anthropomorphic. It's a very stupidly non-scientific way of saying it. But, but maybe you need, you, you, you need to keep, keep sort of tricking your biochemistry into not going, not switching from a carb thing to something else. And, and, um, and, uh, Right now, I'm in the door-to-door -door fighting in Stalingrad phase where I'm, I'm dropping pounds that aren't easy ones. So I'm, I'm, I'm down about, I don't know, 13 pounds or something. And now it's, now it's you know, if you're lucky, do a pound a week. Hell yeah. Well, good for you, first oh, off. No, that's not bad. The problem is I'm in charge of the meal plan in my house. My wife, my wife is not into bacon. Um, my wife is not into steak. Right. That's that's hard. It's a lot of steak, bacon, and I, eggs in this I'm house. Gonna, I'm gonna divorce her. I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. So you know, I uh, did an experiment the other day where I, I I ate canned chicken and mayo, which is amazingly good for the carb diet. It tastes pretty good. It tastes just like tuna. Canned chicken's identical to tuna, which means neither is what they're said to be. Was my guess. <laughs> uh, they're, they're both synthetic or they're ground up something. Um, and I, it's 10 ounce can of chicken. And I, 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 I poured off the water and weighed the chicken in my lab. A couple things happened. Interesting. First of all, it only weighs five ounces. So they're charging for 10 ounces. And when you look at the serving size, it says five, two ounce servings. So I go, well, am I supposed to drink the juice? Is that really part of your scam? So then the second thing that happened, and this has happened to my brother repeatedly, is after I'm wandering through the lab with my grad student saying, um, you know, trying to find the right scale. And I go, how the fuck do you guys do research? You don't have the right scales. You know, get your boss to buy you a scale, right? And, uh, and we finally find a scale and I weigh it. I get back to my office and I open up my email and there's an ad for laboratory scales. I'm going, oh, <laughs> my brother's got it. One time my brother was talking about a waitress named Aspen Martin and how it sounds like an Aspen Martin. And he got a fucking advertisement for Aston Martins. When was the last time you got an Aston Martin at, right? So last time I watched a Bond movie. They are listening through our phones. There's no question. He, he was talking about weighted blankets once. They got weighted blanket ads. I mean, there's just stuff that you're not supposed to get. And they do this. I've read a couple of books on, on surveillance capitalism. And they're, they're listening to your phone in your fucking pocket. Well, now they want to put a vaccine passport on you and make sure that you're all vaccinated up. We have to fight it. I, I don't know how if all of a sudden it's like, oh, by the way, you're not allowed in any store, any bank or anywhere without this thing. I don't know what we do. But oh. we should raise holy hell and let our congressmen know they're not getting reelected if they don't fight it right. This is this is big time. This is big time authoritarianism. Well, this is the fight they're laying out, right? Yeah. Where 
we can't open up until we have these vaccines. Like, I don't, and it's the sad thing is, like, a lot of people I talk to, they're begging for the vaccine just because they want to go back to normal. They're like, fuck it, stick me in the arm. I just want to go back. Well, I- I'm going to let them do the herd immunity, and I'll sit back and say, I don't work for you. Well, then, because we talked about vaccines. I don't know if it was last episode or the previous episode that we recorded, but, like, how effective could a coronavirus vaccine be? Well, well, they're already waffling on that. So my, my a vaccine to me is where you get a polio vaccine and then you don't get polio, right? It's that simple. Or uh, a, 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 a chicken pox um, vaccine or whatever it is. Which one the least the shingles? And, you know, 50 years later, you get shingles. I, I'm okay with that, right? Because it held it off for a long time. Uh, the flu vaccine is not really a vaccine. You get the flu vaccine, would you be shocked if you got the flu? Would you even know for sure whether the flu is worse or better if you hadn't gotten the vaccine? And so I think the vaccine world, it's, uh, it's like selling you vitamin supplements or something. And, and they, they might do some good, but um, so I'm not an anti-vaxxer at all, but I think, I think, <clears throat> I think that the flu vaccine, um, you know, for one thing, it takes so long to develop it that let's say they say, oh, there's a bad flu in Asia. The vaccine doesn't cover that. That's already too late. That, 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 that vaccine will be a couple of years from now. And so, uh, and so, uh, so I don't trust the flu vaccine. It's really just a booster. And I'll give it that much credit. It's a booster. And, um, and there's a correlation, by the way, I haven't gotten a flu vaccine and more severe COVID. It's a correlation that may be internet legend, but it's, it's, it's one of those things you hear and you go, oh, that's interesting. Um, and so the COVID vaccine, I think, is likely, and even, you know, Gates is already saying, well, you know, it might be only 50% effect. And I go, then why would I take that? I'm not risking my sorry ass for a 50% coverage. That's like a, would you use a condom that was 50% effective? Not me. Well, actually, I would at this point. I'm so desperate. Um, and, and so, uh, so no, that's, that's not a vaccine. And they're talking about different people need different vaccines. I go, Oh, Oh, that plot's thickening now. Product suite, different products. Oh yeah. Let's cater to your needs. Flavors, Baskin and Robin, get them all. And so (sighs) I I think Gates is a, maybe he is a bad person, but he's, he certainly is so upset when you watch him get interviewed. I I watched an interview and, and I, I just finished a book, How to Spot Liars. That's not the title, but that's the book. And I was watching, I go, he's got all the tells. He's got them all. And he was he was doing everything. So I post on Twitter and I said, tell me this guy's not lying his ass off. And all the poker players are going, oh, did you see him do that? Oh, did you see him do that? And he was lying his ass off. The vaccine from Moderna, back to those guys, is causing young, healthy people who are in the trial to suffer. And they interviewed a bunch. And one of them said, you know, people are going to have to toughen up for this vaccine. I'm going, okay, so let me see if I got this right. You got a vaccine that makes people feel shittier than if they get the virus. How's that going to work on some 75-year-old guy? Are you going to kill him? Who's lining up to take these vaccine trials? How much money are they paying? Well, no, I... You know, if you said, Dave, you got to get the vaccine, I'd, I'd rather feel like I'm doing it for somebody 
I'd, I'd rather feel a touch of altruism and say, okay, I'll take a, I, I couldn't because I have to take care of my wife and stuff like that. But, but I, I think to take one for the team has got a better feel than to be a sheep. Mm. So, um, you know, but, but I'm not getting it until I have to, or until, you know, they've given it to a handful of million people. Of course, I'm not even going to get the first ones because they got a, they got a ration. And, uh, or not, maybe not. Operation Warp Speed is is aiming to have at least 300 million available by the end of this year. Is that for the U.S. or for the world? For the U.S., I believe. Yeah. Um, I just <sighs> I I don't trust scientists. <laughs> I've seen too many fuck ups in my world. Uh, by the way, I think Bill Gates has a bit of a track record of of his vaccines causing pandemonium in distant lands where no one bitches, neurological damage and stuff like that. So again, yeah. I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but I don't like what's happening. I don't like what I'm seeing. Well, I think that's another unfortunate situation that we find ourselves in uh, is everybody's been trusting the quote unquote science and, uh, allocating decision-making to quote-unquote experts who know quote-unquote the science and that's led to a lot of confusion and a lot of changing narratives mask on mask it's off also not just the science so here here's the, the analogy would people call it a war on COVID? is that a rational sort of headline type metaphor and i think the answer is yes well in any war you are balancing quality of life versus quantity so whether you're fighting the Germans or the Japanese or whatever, the safest thing to do is not fight. But we don't make that decision because we say there is some certain quality of, of how we live or how we want to live or how the world ought to be that we're willing to send perfectly healthy 18 to 25 year olds off and get their asses kicked because we think there's a better world. The war on COVID is the same damn thing. We have to decide how many bodies we're willing to sacrifice to allow the world to function well. And, and so the idea that, you know, one life is too many, whoever says that's an idiot. Well, I'm back to idiots. There's too many idiots. Um, one life is not too many. One life is not too many. A handful of lives is not too many. I don't know how many lives is not too many, but there's a shitload that are not too many. Now the guys who died, you know, grandma and grandpa might have headed to the light a few months early. There might be some people who shouldn't have died. I had two colleagues who died of a heart attack this year. Then on COVID, that would have been a COVID death. They might have died three months earlier. You say, well, that's three months they lost. I go, you're keeping, you're destroying the fragile little minds of every school kid in the country because you're afraid of taking months off someone's life. Yeah, especially when more and more data is pouring in that's proving that anybody below the age of 70 has a 99.9 hex percent of survive, chance right. of survival. In fact, the average age of a COVID death is older than the average age of a death. <laughs> it's pretty insane. It's and pretty that, insane. And then the psychological effect, like I, my heart breaks seeing my niece and nephew and my cousin's children having to go to school wearing a mask. Like a young, like four or five, six. Oh, uh, but when they get there, they'll learn about um, various 
socially just things. Yeah. <sighs> so one of my colleagues was telling me he's got five kids. He says, it's just awful. Like the, he says the kids go to gym class. They just sit spaced out and, and look at their iPads in gym class. The volleyball team plays volleyball against the wall because they're not allowed to pass it back and forth because the ball might get infected. This is in an age group which the probability of dying from a drive-by shooting far exceeds or the probability of dying from a bolt of lightning far exceeds the probability of dying from the disease. They won't let them play. This what brings my tinfoil hat out and makes me believe there's more nefarious yes. intentions behind this than yes. we were being led to believe. Yes, I it totally agree. I hate like going a, there, but I totally agree. Almost like a controlled demolition or yeah. uh, mass breakdown of, of the, the psyche in the country or around the world. Where I get stuck is I don't know who's doing it. Why? And, and, you know, I've, I, I make arguments. You say, why does Jeff Bezos need more money? Why does some king need more land, right? Some medieval king, why does he need more land? And the answer is that everybody needs neurotransmitters, dopamine, serotonin, whatever. And that um, why does Harvey Weinstein choke the chicken on starlet's faces? The answer is because he's got to get off not just in his pants, but in his head. And so Jeff Bezos knows that he gets a charge out of making money and becoming more powerful. And, 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 and the king wants to feel more powerful. There are studies that have shown that when you're in a position of authority, you have higher serotonin levels. What, what's interesting is, is that it is not that people with high serotonin levels find positions of authority, that it actually rises from being there. So I was talking to my former associate chair, chair, now chair. And when you're done being chair, you, you are Frodo. You get put on the boat, you go off to places. Hopefully there's elven women there, but you go off to interesting places. And, and you know you're not going to be at the hub anymore. And you know you're, you're, you're not going to be as relevant as you were. But it turns out what I realized was is that you're probably suffering from a drop in the serotonin. So you're biochemically detoxing in some way. So I warned him about that. I said, Brian, when you are done, you're going to go through a detox. You're, you're not only going to not be important, but your brain is also going to be telling you not, you're not important. Your, your biochemistry is going to be making you feel less important. You got to be ready for that. Um, and, and so then the question is, what's this new world order? Maybe it's Christine fucking Lagarde who needs more serotonin, right? Maybe it's just a version of Jeffrey Dahmer's who needed more serotonin. So he ate kids. Well, it seems like there's a, a common group of these names in the party Davos. Bill Gates comes up a lot. Well, Bezos comes up a get, lot. Maybe we don't get to see the real ones. Maybe yeah. Davos guys are just up front. I don't know. I hate going this far down the rabbit hole, but I, I can't stop. It's like I'm on a slide. And well, like how, I just how, know that the guys trying to get us capsules have ulterior motives. I know the capsules crowd has ulterior motives. You do too, because you're a hobby. Right. Right. Well, so how much of it is that, that search for serotonin? How much of it is I, I tend... Believe that certainly plays into it, but 
the quickness and the pace with which everything's been thrust on everybody this year, particularly makes me seem like they're scrambling to clamp down and, 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 well, what, what if they know something we don't know? That strikes me as a reasonable hypothesis. <laughs> what if... Um... Well, this goes back to the, the repo spasms last year. Like We knew the global ec- economy was, I don't want to say on dire straits, but there were some spasms it happening throughout the financial markets. Right? It was in arrhythmia. It was like you're watching the, the screen in the hospital and you hear your, your heart 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 doctor look watching the screen and then he goes oops what was that yeah so that with like the combination of like the epstein revelations um the politics in america particularly around yeah panama papers there's all sorts of crap russia collusion steel dossier um who just got connected oh the head of the debate commission has been connected up with the steel dossier now how weird is that? I was, I was writing about Kavanaugh and, and all of a sudden I read, you know, Kavanaugh cut his teeth on the Vince Foster killing. I'm going, what? 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 Kavanaugh's a youngster as a prosecutor was involved in the Vince Foster killing. Wow. That's, that's one of the best Clinton body counts out there. That's one of the ones where people say that thing seems like it's real. There's, there's others, you know, the Clinton body counts are like 170 or something. Way more people than I know who have been mysteriously off. But um, but the, the Foster one, there's just so many guys, you know, detectives saying there's no chance that this was legit. Um, who was the New York Times reporter got off and shit because Donna Brazil to shit her, her thong? Who was that? You know, the guy who got just shot at his apartment and uh, and it wasn't American. He was the guy who delivered, who was said to have maybe taken the emails with, with a memory stick. Oh, Seth Rich. I don't think Seth he was Rich, a journalist. He was Michael a, he, Hastings, one car flaming crash while he's writing about the FBI. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's things like that that are happening all the time. And so at some point, you know, the world is very different than I thought. What if they know, for example, that we are going to have a banking collapse? It's just flat out unavoidable. The, the, the Federal Reserve knows they can't hold it back. This is, you know, you're, you're putting sandbags up on the Johnstown Dam. You know it's going to let go. And so you start doing shit. I thought when the Chinese virus first showed up, oh, did I just say that? Oh, cool. The Chinese virus, right? Uh, unlike every other virus, which also is named from the country from which it came. Don't tell people MERS is Middle East Respiratory Syndrome. Yeah, no, don't. every virus gets named after a source except for the, the Wuhan virus. Um, and I, when it first showed up, I thought, oh shit, I bet the Chinese banking system's going down and they're trying to find a, trying to find a, 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 a scapegoat. Yeah, a scapegoat. And, and so they're going to say, hey, don't blame us, the virus destroyed it. <sighs> so, I, you know, there's, and then it turned out to be real, but what if they released it because of that? Who knows, right? I, I just, China is certainly tough, right? There's nothing, there's nothing wimpy about the Chinese. And so I wouldn't put a pass to the Chinese. This is not xenophobia. This is just, they're an authoritarian state. Um, I wouldn't put a pass and say, look, we're going to have a fatality rate with this thing, but let's release it. Because we, we can talk. You got a billion people, you can, you can afford some losses. The videos coming out of China early in the, early in the, uh, the pandemic, there was some that looked faked, right? There was all sorts of stories coming out going, eh. These are fishy stories we're seeing here. No, and then you have, but then you have like the the pictures out of Wuhan a couple of months ago, 
thousands of people at a pool party concert. Exactly. Partying their ass off no mask. So I think one of the possible rickrolls they did was they, they, they knew they could trigger the shutdown of the world. And then the minute everyone did, they opened up. Yeah. That's a win. Are we just kooks yep. pontificating here? But I know, I'm not sure we're just kooks, but we're kooks. Yes. Now, I know a lot of smart people who are, who are worrying about this stuff. Uh, I had a chat, long chat with a famous podcaster who shall remain nameless. And he started going down the rabbit hole and he went so much further than me. I didn't want to tell you what he said, but by the end I'm going, holy fuck. And Can you tell us what he said, please? You don't have to name him or her. I would hate to think he heard me tell the stories, but it involves alien domination. Oh, yes. Yeah. I have another friend who... I, I was talking about the New World Order to this other friend who's very much a conspiracy guy, very factually aware. He's a, he's a famous material scientist. And I said, I'm trying to figure out if the world's being run by a bunch of 20-somethings in cubicles being driven off a cliff or whether there's some organization here, you know, New World Order. He says, do you think they're human? I go, yeah, I think they are. Um, there are people who don't. I, that that that's a rabbit hole i'm never going to go down put it this way i'm not going down until i'm looking at some almondite alien right in the face then i go you know i'm i stand corrected i'm with i'm with um i'm with the guys in independence day those those guys are real but but maybe there's something lurking out there you know trippin's dilemma is finally coming yeah uh, and and they they somehow need maybe they know we're going to run out of energy Maybe, who the hell knows? Maybe I don't think we're running out of energy. Well, we sure as hell don't have to. Um, I I'm think, thinking a lot about that, too. I 30,000 foot view, just looking at the herd mentality that has taken place this year alone. Somebody's pushing the herd somewhere for some reason. I don't know what exactly. It's almost like they're foaming the runway, getting us to behave. Well, I had this passing thought, so I'd you know drive through the Cornell campus. This is an age bracket that's supposed to be kind of rogue, right? They're supposed to be independent. There is no defiance of the mask. You know that yes, they're having get-togethers. Masks are coming off, and the pants are coming off, and people are passing it around. But 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 the compliance. You don't. I can go across camp. I can see some person walking along or riding a bike with a mask on. I'm going, a great meme. Someone said, if, if, if I see you driving in a car with a mask on, you don't need a Biden bumper sticker. We already know. <laughs> Your mask may have it on it anyway. So, so, but I, I'm actually a little bothered that there's not more rebel in them. I was one of, so I, my wife, our son, and I have been bunkered up in a small island by the sea in South Jersey. And it's a summer town here, so the summer got packed, but you wouldn't be able to tell that anything's going on. Nobody's wearing masks on the beach, and bars were open outside, and people half-assed the mask there. But we went home to Philadelphia for the weekend a couple weekends ago, and my wife and I, honestly, were just down here treating everything like normal. Uh, we're pretty boring. We we go on family runs. We'll go outside and go to the beach, just the three of us. But being back in Philly, in particular, 
uh, hardcore liberal parts of the city, everybody was masked up walking down the street. Some people, yeah, were if you got a place like Maine, I'm told you wouldn't know there was a pandemic in a lot of places. So part of it might be due to the density. It may very well be. One of the theories that's shown up very early and seems to not get talked about very often, but I think it's true, uh, probably, is that the lethality of this thing has to do with the sort of degree of exposure. So if someone with COVID breathes right in your face, you're going to get a, a serious dose. And so if, let's say you get a thousand times more virus particles. And the viral load, as they call so, it. So, yeah. So your immune system is virgin, not ready. And you got a thousand times more than the guy who fucking didn't wipe off the shopping cart. And so all of a sudden now it's got a thousand fold head start. Maybe that's what kills you. I don't know. But so, so I think masking makes sense until we figure this out but there's some ridiculous level and by the way it's bothersome that the guys are telling us who wear masks and no one gives a shit about the quality or the function of it that's got that's got smell of compliance rather than efficacy written all over it exactly the people wearing up a leather like the illogical or the logical inconsistencies of it all like when we moved out of brooklyn walking through brooklyn if you had an iced coffee in your hand, your mask down, you were fine. But if you just had your mask down, did not have that magical iced coffee in your hand, you were The other day, Biden, Biden keeps getting, the hypocrites keep getting caught. I'm not a hypocrite because I'm, 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 I strongly support doing what the system, so if a store owner wants to say, you don't have a mask, you don't get to come in, it's fine. I don't get to come in if I don't want to wear a mask. I wear masks. Fine. Fine I, I follow well. the rules. But Biden, uh, Behind the other, several, several things. One, there's a picture of him on October 6th, and with a big crowd of people, no mask, right? I mean, that guy for public settings wears masks even if he's on top of some mountain. Um, and, 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 and then, and then he, uh, he was at a podium or something, and he, he had to cough, and he pulled his mask on to cough. <laughs> now, it's not his fault. He's demented. But... <laughs> So he pulled his mask down the cuff. I would too, because my instinct would be, do I really want to fill this mask with goo? Right. And so it would be a natural instinct. You wouldn't do it on purpose, but it'd be a natural instinct to do. Yeah. I'm not convinced the risk, like, I'm not convinced of the mask, like the mask mandates. I would be totally against those, but I agree with you. Like, Business. But I don't have a, for one thing, I don't have a, I, the stores, I don't mind because I don't have to go to that store. I think the people who are walking around outside with masks are, are are either succumbing to peer pressure too much or um, or don't understand. What they don't understand is the relationship between distance and concentration of the virus. So 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 the the, the concentration of the virus um, around you has to treat you as a spherical pile of virus. Um, it would it would go as the third power. It would dilute the distance to the third power, one over the distance to the third power. By the time you're, um, if if you double the distance, you're 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 eightfold more dilute. If you triple the distance, you're twenty-seven fold more, full more dilute. And so so that's it falls off sharply with distance. So if you're six, the origin of the six feet, by the way, supposedly again, I say supposedly because I don't believe anything anymore. I just spout shit. Um, supposedly, the Brits did some studies from some previous era, said the distance is about three feet, let's double it to be safe. 
Just arbitrarily. Yeah. Why not? Putting the margin. But then for everyone to say six feet magical, that's the stupidity. Yeah. It's... And you've seen the video of the guy trying the different masks with the vape. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the actually, guy's like, the shit's flying all over the room. Oh, it's infuriating because you posted that that video that uh, disclaimed said a lot of people will get called kooks and some of this is probably fringe, but a lot of the stuff brought up in that hour long documentary, whatever you want to call it, just series of clips. What was that? What was that documentary again? Oh, I said it was fringy. Yes, fringy. Yeah, that's what you said. but it had a lot of good stuff in it. it. They could have been more efficient. They didn't have to keep doing all the special effects. Well, this is what keeps bringing me back. Part of that, the the woman from Yugoslavia who this yeah, is what scared me about happened in Yugoslavia. Don't do it here. I see the patterns identical. Yeah, and it's a color revolution. Just instead of us turning it on a Latin America country or some right. uh, Eastern European country, we're turning it on ourselves. And why are we doing that? So, I say so this we, gets us back to the Civil War. If we are headed for a civil war, what are we fighting over? And this could turn into Rwanda, where they don't even know what they're fighting over. There were towns in Rwanda where they slaughtered each other, and there weren't even representatives from both tribes. It was just one tribe, and they slaughtered each other. I, it, it just got so insane. One of the theories in Rwanda, by contrast, is that they actually were just running out of food. That they, the calorie output per acre was just inadequate, and, and ultimately, that just kind of triggered mass killing. That, that it's not an easy causality to connect. But the, someone said, "You just that's what you got. You get Lord of the Flies." Yeah, but it feels like there's explicit attempts to mislead. Yes, the media is just terrible, terrible race baiting, you know, hate baiting. Um, um, and they're baiting everybody away from something, which is the real problem. And so what is the real problem? Why are they hiding it? And why are they replacing it with this? I, I have uh, not been able to conceive of, I mean, I, again, it, one model is that there's just shit that we don't understand at all. So I, I used to talk about the, the theory behind, if you watch European politics and say, how do you understand them? Crudely speaking, one of the ways to understand European politics and you now when there were were all these weird things and they're trying to keep the euro together one could write a benevolent plot that said to understand european politics you simply have to recognize that their goal since 1945 is to never do that again whatever they have to do to never do that again and if if you know bailing out a country or taking a country or whatever is required to never do that again then they'll never do that again uh, that's the benevolent interpretation is that it's people who are overseeing this, right? A higher, high authority guy saying, um, um, we can't let this happen. This is like having the red phone between Moscow and, and Washington. Yeah. So what are they trying to not let happen again? What, what, what's the purpose of, of, of manip The guys who want to put chips in us, there's just nothing about that that sells. Why? Why do they want to do it? Are they just okay. chip makers? Are they just fucking chip makers? Well, if you read into like the central bank digital currencies that you're trying to roll out, it'll come with a digital wallet that's linked up to your digital passport, uh, which may be a chip at some point in the future, an RFID. And that'll be a combination of a vaccine passport that allows you to enter 
uh, or prevents you from entering certain. So why do people in high positions think this is a good idea? Well, again, they want to what they want to control. No, it's serotonin. Micromanage. Why? But but I, you know, <clears throat> as chair, I was said to be a good delegator, right? I don't want to micromanage people. So as department chair, I would figure out who could do the job and I'd give it to them. And you, you can kind of do it because everyone knows being chair sucks salty balls. It's a hard job. And, and so when you ask someone to do something, you don't dare say the chair, I'm busy. So the way you delegate is you give them the job, you give them the resource to do the job and you give them the authority to do the job and you say, you're on your own. This, this is yours now. And so, um, God, I just got lost. I had a purpose to talk about that. Um, serotonin over control. Yeah. So, so there was no serotonin in my brain the day, you know, the days I gave away a job and said, it's off my desk. That wasn't serotonin. That was, that was Dave being a lazy bastard. That was Dave saying, I don't want this job. So I'm giving, so I, I thought that if I could get to the point where the department simply ran itself, I win. So as associate chair, which I wanted to be before chair, you say, why would you want to do double the load? Because I wanted to watch the chair close up. We'd have weekly meetings and talk about everything that was problematic. And I wanted to see what the job was. And so my chair was a woman who, who I respect deeply. And she would start to put something on her plate. And I would say, no, 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 give that to the chair of the safety committee. That's their job. And as associate chair, I put shit on my plate because I knew I was going to be chair next. Not, it wasn't necessarily true, but it sure looked like it because there were three of us in the running the year, the chair before, and then there were two of us in the running. So I'm going, I think I see a pattern here. Um, so I put shit on my plate because I knew when I was chair, I wanted the associate chair to have that shit on their plate. <laughs> so you're, you're basically warming your position up to, to allocate I power away from I was flattening the curve. <laughs> uh, so how does this year end? How do you see this election playing out? I know you, oh. weren't, on, you weren't on Twitter earlier today to see the fact that the New York Post uh, expose on Hunter Biden is being censored on Twitter. You cannot share the link to the article. Um, yeah, I haven't, I, I haven't seen that yet. I had a bunch of shit I was, had to do this morning, so I couldn't become a Twitter-holic. Um, you're the one who told me about that, so I don't have much to say. I do. I am confident that Hunter Biden and his father are criminals. I have no doubt about that. Um, at this point, I have no doubt that, that the density of criminals inside the Beltway is so high but, but then there's a threshold. There's a threshold above which I go, but that is simply not okay. And so the threshold is like, um, you know, trying to overturn a president, right? It's clear they did. I, I, I just have no doubt at this point. I, I, I'm not even gonna write about it. I'm just gonna state it and say, look, everything I see says that, that the Russia fiasco, the impeachment, the whole thing was trying to either get Trump out or just to neuter him completely. But I, you know, when the FBI is doing shit like that, I talked to an FBI agent who said the, the the rank and file think the high command should go to prison. I mean, it's pretty egregious at this point. It's it's tremendous. It's treason. It's treason. And and most of the stuff is hijinks. The money's too big now. So what is it? Citizens United uh, 
was the worst decision ever made by the Supreme Court. I was told by one of my students who went to Harvard Law School after his PhD, you want to write your own paycheck, that's a good way to do it right there. He's, his salary must be money. He used to make 50 grand a summer while in law school. Really? Yeah. So heaven only knows what he's making now. Um, hopefully he'll donate to the Column Foundation. Um, he said that within the halls of Harvard's law school that that was considered a horrific end result. It's possible you couldn't see it coming, but they're supposed to. And so if they can reverse that, and I have some optimism that maybe once in a while the court picks a new case and then uses it to upend the previous. I, I, I listened to an audio book on the Bill of Rights and it's a fascinating story about how the constitution evolves. So, so the idea that the fundamentalists, the founding fathers, what did they intend? That's just not the constitution, in my opinion. The constitution is, a, is an accumulation of, of decisions and, and briefs and all, all sorts. There's this one case that was really critical, I can't remember, where they found a draft of the guy who wrote it, who wrote the, 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 the majority decision. And in the margins of the draft, it said, this is not meant to be precedent. He, he explicitly wanted it in there saying, this is not precedent in this way. And that somehow disappeared. Now, did some clerk with a sense of humor say, yeah, let's just take that out. And then it got out, it got taken out. Somehow from this, his, his draft, that part disappeared and it became precedent setting. It was, it was an important case, but I can't remember what it was. Um, you know, corporations getting civil liberties sounds bad to people, but they have to, they have to, because they're defenseless if they're not. So the first case is a great illustration. New Hampshire wanted to take Dartmouth college. Now Dartmouth is not a person, but in the state of Mass, the state of New Hampshire, tried, this was back like 1820 and the state of New Hampshire wanted to commandeer Dartmouth college. And the, the Supreme Court ruled, no, Dartmouth College has rights. So that was the first organization-based rights right there. And through the years, you know, we can't take J.P. Morgan. We can't take it. But the question is, we're in the Constitution, are we protected from us taking it? And the answer is, it's there. That's why they, they exist. Uh, how much... Like I feel, it feels like the state and the government here in the United States, particularly, just become way too centralized. They like the serotonin. Well, it's too big. Yeah. Do you think? Do you do you see secessions in the future? Well, I don't know about that. California's talking about it, right? Um, but it's too big. So when the back at the turn of the century, the government was this tiny little fraction of the system. And you know, one point, guys used to go broke being president because they couldn't afford to keep up the White House because it was their job um, and stuff like that. And, 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 and the system, um, so if the system was profoundly corrupt, who cares? Because it was only a few percent of the total system. And that's when, you know, the robber barons and the, the, the industrialists, industrialists built the industrial revolution unfettered by government. And some would say it's good, some would say it's bad. You could debate that. You know, unions came in to balance it up a little bit. Um, Woodrow Wilson turns out to be the president of, of least respect for me. And he was the guy who brought in the administrative state, right? He's the guy who, who, who really introduced all sorts of government oversight of everything. 
Um, the most qualified president, in my opinion, the one who had has all the juice was Herbert Hoover, ironically, right? So he gets the depression hung on him, but he, he that guy had chops. He, he knew how to do shit. Mm-hmm. He was like Trump on steroids in, in the sense of having what his life had prepared him to for the presidency. It wasn't, um, was it Harrison who brought the CIA and the FBI? I don't know. Yeah. And one can argue we need them. I mean, the FBI, boy, you know, I used to watch the FBI when I was a kid. They seem like good guys. Um, you know, I don't know. At what point do they do more harm than good, though? Well, I, they seem to have crossed that Rubicon, right? I don't know when. Of course, J. Edgar Hoover was a douche. Yeah. Or was it Hoover who started the... Uh, I think Hoover started the, the CIA I or think the FBI. It, I, I think... I, I read a book called... I can't remember, never come up with it, but there's a book that, um, that talks about the origin of these things. And I think it's a post-war thing that came out of another organization. So it's post-World War II and it sort of emerged out of the use of some other national security organization. And, and I think it's a Cold War thing. I think it emerged from the ooze of the Cold War. Is it the, uh, the devil's chessboard? Uh, I have that on my reading list. I've not read it. It's on my Amazon list, which is only 2,000 books long, maybe. <laughs> but I thought of downloading it as an audiobook the other day. I actually got pretty close to that one. That's funny. Somebody actually DM'd me is this it good? morning. I don't know. I haven't read it yet. Somebody DM'd me this morning. There's a Del- bunch of deep state books that I'm telling. I read a book by Peter Dale Scott years ago in the deep state, Berkeley professor, very scholarly, very thorough, very careful to try to keep facts separated from theories and mention what's not documented and what is. He wrote about Kennedy's assassination, but what was more important was about the politics underneath it all. And he got to the end and he didn't tell us who killed him, but boy, by the end, you're going, holy shit, Kennedy could have been off by any number of people. Yeah, the CIA, the mob. The mob, um, the mob certainly could have been involved. Um, I would have, if I had to bet paychecks on all these things, I'd probably bet that Johnson knew it was coming. That would be my bet. Um, certainly, you know, um, I, I think Robert Kennedy pissing off the mob was, was but, but it may not have been the mob by itself. I think he was, uh, he supposedly was about to curb the powers of the Federal Reserve. The bankers therefore didn't like them mm-hmm. so there's all there's all sorts of theories a gazillion theories um what i'm confident is is that someone did it some a conspiracy did it wasn't oswald i don't think no there's people who are going to listen say no i read all about it so oswald. i that's fine I, I'm, I haven't caught up to you yet though i haven't read enough it all comes back to the fed is Bitcoin the silver bullet that finally destroys the fed i'm worried I, the fed's not going to be the number one power in the world I'm worried that's going to move to Silicon Valley. Oh, it's, I mean, it seems to be happening already. Right. But they, they could Schmitt. be the J. Edgar Hoover types where, where no one can buck them. Well, I guess who's going to build these digital wallets and these tracking technologies, Silicon I, Valley, Eric, I, Eric Schmitz. And, and Silicon Valley is loaded with companies that are ass deep in, in, in intelligence, right? I mean, that's Whitney Webb on steroids right there, right? Whitney's documented. There's so many companies. Yeah. I don't think there's a chip made out there that doesn't have intelligence backdoors and shit built into it, probably. I, I just. Now, that's the one thing that actually shocked me a little bit about my conversation with Whitney yesterday is the amount of 
uh, Israeli influence in the tech sector as well. Oh, Israeli intelligence. I, they have a super tech sector. You say, well, that's good. That's, you know, industrialization. No, it's a hundred percent. I think it's a hundred percent national defense. I think it's a hundred percent. And, and they, they make money, of course, they like that, but, but I, I don't think you could even be an Israeli tech company without having um, the, the national defense guys up your ass. Yeah. And a lot of those ex Israeli intelligence guys are coming over and starting. Like Whitney hey, who said Barack, that. right. I mean, Jesus, you know, the whole Epstein team, right? Yeah. Uh, what are your, how, uh, you think your 2020 year in review is going to end on an optimistic note? No. Or a, well, I don't know. Maybe it will. So here's the question I asked someone today. I can't remember who it was. I said, let's say Biden wins. Biden wins in a way that you say, okay, you know, he won. Um, which by no means do I think is in the cards because I don't think the polls have any credibility at all. I don't think you have a clue what's happening in the polls. I don't think I don't think right wing Trump supporters are even bothering to click polls at this point. But I think they're rigging the polls too, like they did in '16. Um, so I don't think we know where the two stand. Uh, again. To repeat, I find it appalling what a bad ticket this is, given that they got their asses kicked in 16. They need, all they needed was another Obama. They win. But they came up with this guy who can't even put together sentences. I think they could have won with Tulsi. I would have voted Oh, I'd vote for Tulsi. Yeah, here's the ticket. Here's the ticket. Dan Crenshaw and Tulsi Gabbard. Right. That would, oh, God, I'd vote for that one. Guy with balls of steel and an anti-war military person together. And they disagree. That'd be a great ticket. I'm wondering when someday. So here, what stops a presidential candidate who gets nominated, who gets the nomination, from reaching across the aisle to the VP? What stops them? The party behind them. Well, but they've already got the nomination. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know. That that would be the coup d'état. That would be stupendous. It's something like. I, Crenshaw is impressive as hell. Impressive as hell. Um, I like Jim Jordan. I like the young, tough guys. And and uh, if one of them got it and then reached across the aisle and got a person from the left who had their, their head on their shoulders and wasn't uh, wasn't a neo-Marxist um, and, and possibly wasn't a criminal, I don't think Crenshaw's a criminal. Although data could prove me wrong. Um, then uh, that would just be that would be historic. It would be, but that's not the hand we're being dealt right now. We've got no, no, Biden. no, not a bit. Like, what do you think happens if Biden wins? You think he's so dead Biden within six wins. months? The million in dollar Harris. question will be: Does the right shit their ball? I don't. I don't think as bad as the left did in twenty sixteen. That's my opinion. My opinion is the right. I think the left is more prone to tantrums. Sorry, guys. I know some of you are left, but you, you know you haven't behaved yourselves very well over the last four years. A lot of tantrums. And and I think the I think the right would not shit the bed. I, they, yeah. The the right wing politicians. I think they started the ruthless politics. So I'm I'm not letting them off. But, but I think the populace, 
I think I think there would not be the derangement syndrome phenomenon from right-wing voters of a magnitude that you get on it. I mean, they might hate Biden, they might hate. I, I like Biden more than Harris. I mean, that's a tough pill to swallow, but I think I could say the same. Oh, I, I, I agree. Kamala I, Harris is one of the most Biden's people. old school crooked politician with, you know, I, I could see having a beer with Harris looks vacuously without principle to me. And I, it's a, it's not based on good data, but it's, it's the sense I have. And it's part of her prosecutorial record being so bad. Uh, I just get this feeling that she will do anything and say anything. So in that sense, she's Hillary like, but I believe Hillary had things she believed in. I, I haven't seen the Harris, you know, foundation of principle that I'd she, like to see. She's a smile fucker. Oh God, she's her, her facial expression. Imagine I tweeted the other day about how, how do you like to be your parents and have her as a teenager? Holy Jesus. Right. Holy Jesus. Well, what do you think of the possibility that the election doesn't happen without a hit or? Oh, I me? think I think there'll be a shitstorm of some kind. There's gotta be. It's such a mess already. Like again, going back to some weird grand plan to herd individuals they, they choreograph a lot of this stuff like event 201 last year predicted the pandemic oh wasn't uh, that, wasn't that, oh god maybe they've been was, doing that every six months for the last 30 years and we're just picking up on one of them well, again whitney whitney made me aware of this there was uh, an operation called dark winter six months before the anthrax breakout that basically war planned an anthrax breakout and similarly before 9-11 there was a an operation, I forget what it was called, that uh, war planned. If How do you got... think she gets her info? A lot. Well, that, we talked about it a lot on the episode, too. A lot of her info is primary sources. It's people who say, okay, Whitney's a good conduit, and they, they whisper in her ear? No, it's just picking up information. Well, that I would imagine that a combination and a combination of picking up uh, sort of documents that have been released and nobody's looked over, reported on. So she she likes to go to, when I say primary sources, documents released by the government and available via Freedom of Information Act. And, and then we saw what the, the release of Brennan's handwritten notes saying that Hillary was setting up the Russia collusion thing to get Trump, right? Yeah, nobody talks about it. No one talks about it, right? No one talks about it. The Panama Papers got talked about for about two days and then no one talks about it. And there's just... The memory hole idea is just humongous. Memory, you everything goes down the memory hole unless there is a reason, right? There's a reason to let a story stay alive. By the way, one of the criticisms I have of the Democrats that, you know, when Trump shut down travel with China, he got accused of being a xenophobe and the Democrats said, go to Chinatown, enjoy a meal, right? That sort of thing. And they forget about that. Um, that's just hygiene's politics. But... Um, during a window of time while, um, while, while Trump in theory, and I don't know what he could have done that would have improved it. I hear all sorts of people talk about the, how many gazillion deaths have occurred because he didn't do something. I don't know what he was supposed to do. I, I have no idea, actually. Uh, he certainly was in denial of the virus. But would it be crazy for a guy in his situation to think that the Democrats are cranking it up on him again? Right? That, that's not crazy because they... Do it on everything, right? No, you, you no cooperation. So that I kind of forgive them for that. Um, during the window when you say that was the critical window where he screwed the pooch, 
what was happening? And the answer is he was getting impeached. Like he was too focused on the Well, the if Russia you were getting stuff, impeached, or... what would be on the top of your day's to-do list, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, and people say, well, I still have to be able to deal with the virus. I go, look, you got this obscure virus in China and you got Adam Schiff ripping your face off. Who are you going to deal with first? Yeah, and especially when you have, like you mentioned, everybody downplaying the risk. So this is the hypocrisy theme that I keep coming back to, and that is I don't have a problem with the mistakes. I have a problem with the hypocrisy. I have a problem with Chris Cuomo getting all sanctimonious about the virus and then not wearing his mask and going out and lying his ass off. I, 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 can't, I can't stand that part of it. Yeah, I'm sick of it all, frankly. Yeah. I'm right. How's your kid doing, by the way, speaking of which? He's doing good. How old now? Six months, something like that? Eight months tomorrow. Yeah. Um, He's got two front teeth. Yeah, so your wife's tits are sore. Got it. (laughs) He's developing a a little personality, sleeping through the night, luckily. Uh, No, it's great. Again, we're loving life down on this little small island. The dangerous period is when they're around one and a half to two because they're so fucking adorable that your wife's gonna make you have another oh i want four more at least i know yeah after about two more you'll realize i own four dogs now and i realize there should have been a filter there uh, there's when you own four dogs there's always at least one dog on the wrong side of some door <laughs> and you gotta let them in or let didn't them out you, or whatever didn't you get one during quarantine as yeah, well yeah we got a boston terrier during quarantine he's now king of the roost he weighs 19 pounds but he thinks he's in charge that's usually how it goes he's a sweetie so he's great um yeah um so i don't know what's going to happen after this election especially if, if our random rantings of lunatics is true and and that that they have a master plan who knows what dish they're going to serve up yeah i'm just eagerly awaiting to see if they delay the uh, revelation of the results or we get to a point where the results are never revealed and we have like me and you have what percentage of the population well forget about your hodlers but that's kind of our world we live in uh, would listen to this discussion and say you know i, I at, at some level i agree with this basic principle they're talking about here that there's this rabbit hole and what percentage would say these guys have just lost it what, how do you think that would break down i think actually you'd be surprised like 60 40 i think so yeah when i when i tweeted that the, the tweet the tweet where i said uh i'm a conspiracy theorist um if you're not you're what's called an idiot um if yes. you are if you believe in conspiracies but you don't want to speak up you're what's called a coward right one of my I favorite got, tweets of all time. I got 6,000 likes out of that, right? I had no idea. I just thought it up and spit it out one night. 6,000. That's a lot of people saying you're talking to me. Now, I, I, I'm with you on that. And the most important thing, I, I, I absolutely defy those who in any way use conspiracy theory pejoratively because men and women conspire. They flat out fucking conspire. And our job is to figure out where and maybe to stop them or at least understand it. And, and people who use conspiracy theory pejoratively are narrow-minded. They're just flat-out narrow-minded. And they're lazy. They're intellectually lazy. They're narrow-minded, or or they have an agenda. 
Yes. The or they're, or they're cowards. Or they're cowards. Right? Yeah, freaks. If you're listening to this, like, yeah, we're just exploring ideas here. That's exactly right. It's very confusing. There's a guy named Michael something who wrote a book about conspiracy theorists. And I said, okay, I'm going to listen. Maybe I'll learn some psychology or something. It was wretched. It was horrifically bad. And he'd use his, it was not a book, he'd use his voice to go, ooh, you know, and I'm going, you're a fucking idiot. You, I'm sure you're getting speaking engagement fees and stuff, but you're a fucking moron. He, he was so infuriated. And, right. Uh, yeah. Well, it's like, and for anybody listening, it falls on the 40% that thinks we're crazy, maybe a higher percentage. It's like, hey, I'm sorry. And by the way, you know, having discussion with this, you know, several years ago, I, I, you know, I wrote about the, the Syrian gas attacks being faked. Twitter knew the gas attacks were faked. And now all of a sudden we're being told the gas attacks were faked. Release data from Austria, the gas attacks were faked. They go, we knew it within two days. Social media had shredded the whole plot line on the Syrian gas attacks. So I wrote about five pages on those. Now we're finding out this year they weren't real. And I go, hello, we knew that. Well, it's very similar to the Russia hoax. And I wrote about Russia hoax. I didn't have the whole story, but I wrote about Strzok and all these guys two years ago. Last year, I didn't write at all because I said, look, we're about to find out. So let's just find out. I decide rather than try to put it together. I said, well, let's just wait and find out. Now I don't want to write about it because I go, they were lying their ass off from head to toe. What else is there to say? Yeah, well, what's it going to be interesting moving forward is to see what the hell is going on right now and when do we find out and who's going to be proven right? Well, we already know that it's bullshit. Yeah, I think it's going to be proven that. You think Durham's going to come in hard and, and actually do something or not? No, nothing ever happens. That's that's one view. The other view is maybe Durham's one of these heroes. Been waiting for a long time. One of these heroes for a long time. And that's why I focus on Bitcoin and getting the energy sector ingrained in Bitcoin so we can leave these assholes behind, defund them. I think it's a more practical way to that's, that's to change the system. That's why I'm rooting for you. The Buffalo Shove. We're finally getting uh, off of our first tangent. Yeah, first tangent. So after I got canceled, got my ass handed to me, spent some miserable months trying to straighten it out. Uh, All the while paying attention to what the hell happened in Buffalo. And I I must confess that once I got canceled, I started getting emails saying, oh, you might want to look at this, you might want to look at this. Um, The Buffalo shove was a hoax from head to toe. There's no truth in it. So here it is in a nutshell. Um, I couldn't figure out why I was poking the riot police. I couldn't fathom that. I I couldn't understand why I was challenging them. Um, None of that made sense. Just from the first view, I said, why is that old man getting into the middle of a war zone, right? So what started emerging was things that just didn't add up. So some people actually thought he took a spill on purpose. I watched the video several times, said, no, I can't see it. What I can tell you is, is that um, there's some, every one of these ideas, I put a percentage probability, so there's some low and some highs, although I can't dismiss them either. So I might say they're low, but I I can't get rid of it. Um, When he fell, imagine you fall and crack your skull. Uh, what are your legs doing? 
I've done it many times. Yeah. They usually get a sandbag on you. Yeah. But what are your legs doing? Your legs are splayed out somehow. You know, you've lost all function. Mm-hmm. He's laying there on the ground with his legs crossed at the ankles. That is an unstable position. You, you actually need muscle tone to lay on the ground, a flat ground with your legs crossed like that. You go live, and you're also going to fall uncontrollably, smack your head. How are those legs going to get crossed? And so he's laying on the ground with his legs crossed. There are people zooming in saying, if you look at his mask, you can see a tube, blood squirts out of his ear. That's fake blood. Ah, that seems silly. But you read about blood coming out of an ear from a cracked skull. What you find is it doesn't squirt out, period. And it did but it, didn't, it doesn't squirt out. What happens is <clears throat> you get a cracked skull, you get serious hemorrhaging, the pressure builds up and then it comes out. And that's how it works. And it oozes out because you finally blow an eardrum or something and out it comes. But it's not like, bam, and you don't have an artery go blowing out blood out of your ear. So some people think the blood was completely fake. I'm going, oh, boy, I don't know. I, I, it's an interesting hypothesis. Um, the uh, there's a picture of him sitting up, and guy's got a cracked skull. Are you gonna sit him up? If you're a medic, you're gonna sit the guy up? No, guaranteed not. You're gonna put a neck brace on him. You're gonna do all sorts of stuff. You ain't gonna sit him up with a cracked skull, especially a guy who's said to be paralyzed, not able to walk, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So he's sitting up and the other thing you notice is no scuff marks on the back of his head, no road rash, no gash, right? A, a cracked skull onto pavement would in all probability leave some, some damage to the flesh just from the trauma. Yeah, okay, not a big deal. Now, turns out that weird stuff starts surfacing. Um, there's a video showing a slow-mo. And I, I thought he's poking the guys with his phone and the slow-mo is not him poking the guys with his phone. There's no chance he's just poking the guys with his phone. He's swiping his phone back and forth across their belts. He's doing what's called skimming. It's well known. It's a wireless technology for pulling information off other communication devices. You can Google it and you can read about it. People skim cell phones that are next to your bed, they'll literally put a skimmer on a pole, put it up next next to the master bedroom window, try to find the signal and grab all your information off your cell phone. So I say, don't keep your cell phone next to the bed on the outer wall. Now, that's getting kind of precautious to a fault in my opinion, but you read all about skimming. The Economist said he was skimming. The magazine, The Economist said he was skimming. So it's not just a lunatic fringe. What also surfaced was a video, this is the killer, was a video of him before the injury. So, so he, was, he was supposedly, you know, this Christian boy, you know, this Christian guy who's just, you know, trying to improve the world. His, um, his Twitter feed and his Facebook feed were way more hostile. Fuck the police, all sorts of nasty things. He's a professional protester. He goes to protests. And, um, and after he got taken away, uh, his Twitter feed 
started getting cleaned up fast. <laughs> so now here's a guy who's supposedly unconscious in ICU somewhere. And his Twitter feed's getting cleaned up and his Facebook's getting cleaned up. Now, my wife wouldn't even know my password. So they wouldn't know how to clean shit up. Now, there's a video that surfaces of him before the event. And he's standing there and I checked it from head to toe. It's him. He's got a helmet under his arm. He's, uh, he's talking to people and there's a big argument going on. And the big argument and, and the guy with the phone walks up and he's just, he's kind of filming it. And then he says to, he, he approaches this black kid, maybe 20 something kid and says, uh, what's going on? And, and you can see his name is Gugino in, in the video. The black kid says, this dude thinks this is fun. He says, this is serious shit. I don't see a barbecue grill here. I don't see people cooking steaks. This is serious business. They talk some more and the, and the, the black kid says, this, this white dude here wants to get his face punched by the cops. And you can hear at one point in the video, a woman saying, why, why would you do that? They'll lose their pensions. What, what would you achieve that way? Right? So they're debating the merits of his master plan of going, getting in a conflict with the cops, which by the way, gets to the Dave's comment that it was self-inflicted now is officially true at that point. Mm -hmm. So then what happens is uh, I see a video of him. I see a picture of him on the gurney behind the ambulance propped up at a 45 degree angle. No one's doing CPR or anything, right? He's talking on his cell phone. Hi, honey, I'm going to be late. I've got a cracked skull. He's talking on his cell phone. I checked. It was the other ear at least. So it wasn't the ear with blood squirting out, but he's talking on his cell phone. Some EMT guy said, look inside the ambulance. There's nothing in it. It's not stocked. It's an un I have no idea what to do with that information. I, I, and, and I've talked to EMTs and I said, yeah, you'd, you'd brace his neck if he had a bad head injury out of fear that it's more than that. And since he was said not to be able to walk, you, you certainly would, would think that that would have been the smart move. Um, but then you start reading about how bad off he is. But you know, when someone's in the hospital and they're in bad shape, oftentimes some guy in a white coat standing at the mic saying, you know, they're doing much better. Mm -hmm. You know, that sort of thing. There were none of those. What there was a ton of were articles written about him and every statement about his condition was finished with according to his lawyers. Hmm. Every single statement about how he was doing was according to his lawyers. And then they say he's in bad shape. He can't really walk according to his lawyers. And you're going, okay, this is getting suspicious. There's a lot of legal activity going on here. And then you don't know what hospital he's in. There's no mention that he's in such and such Presbyterian hospital. And so I reach out to Twitter and say, anyone out there know the HIPAA laws? And some guy said, yeah, I just finished writing up our hospital's document on HIPAA. He said, what would you like to know? And, he, and then he sent me the document he wrote. I said, can the hospital tell people about his condition? And they said, no. And I said, can the hospital tell you that the person's there? And he said, if you sign a secrecy, you sign a certain uh, thing, then uh, they can't even say whether, they can't even confirm whether he's there or not. And so HIPAA provides mechanism by which you would not know anyone was in the hospital. And then they, he gets out and they say he's recovering um, 
in secret for his privacy. Right? I'm going, that's suspicious too. And last but not least, two lawyers helped me look up the status of his legal actions. There's a 90-day window to drop the bomb on the police. And it turns out there were no lawsuits. None. According to his lawyers. <laughs> so now, what happened? So let me, let me get the police off the hook here. The videos that every fucking news agency, you know those, those douchebags in the press we've been talking about? Yes. They showed, they took out the audio and they cut the video. So you see the guy get knocked over. You then watch a cop start to help him and then pull back and then you see the cops walk by him and then the video ends. When you listen to the one with the full audio and about three more seconds of video, you hear the, the head of the cops say, stay in formation, a medic is coming. And then within those three seconds that have gotten cut out by every media, a medic shows up. Really? So the cops did it perfectly. They just knocked down. The cop says, not our job, because for one thing, the one doubling over to help him, he has no skills. He says, stay in formation. The medic's coming, the medic came within seconds. So the cops did nothing wrong. Now, the humanity problem that the cops seem to suffer from, therefore, is bullshit. The cops were not insensitive. They were not misbehaving in any respect. It was also not police brutality. You'd swipe your arm at a guy and he falls over and cracks his skull. It might be brutal, but it's not brutality. Mm -hmm. And we say, well, you could have walked the guy. Well, it turns out the, the mayor of Buffalo said that he had been a pain in their ass all week long. And so maybe you had a cop who was on his fifth day of 12-hour shifts who's just going, you know, sorry, dude, and he gave him a little nudge. And, you know, maybe it was too much. But again, you send some 70-year-old guy into a kind of a war zone, and, and then you're shocked that he falls over and cracks his skull. But I don't think he cracked his skull. I don't think there's a shred of evidence that he cracked his skull. Ah. <sighs> Plot thickens. People ran with that, obviously. And, and by the way, the cops got put back on duty. And here's what I think happened. They knew he was fucking guilty. They knew he didn't do anything. But the, everything was so charged. Here's what I think happened. Everything was so charged, some lawyer said, write the guy a check for 20K. Let's get the hell out of this. So they wrote up something. Everyone has to shut up. Here's your 20K. Go home. Interesting. That's what I do, right? If I was, if I were the mayor of Buffalo and I had that mess on my hands, I said, just write him a fucking check. It's not worth it because the mob will forget. And mob will forget. And yeah, by the time seventy-two you get hours, it, you're gonna lose. You can't win that one. Yeah. Uh, so I wrote him a check. That's my guess. I don't know that. I know nothing because, by the way, if they did it right, he can't say anything either. Yeah. In a, a private, private location, recovering in privacy. Oh, Dave. So I got canceled for getting a dead right, just at some level with Locke. Dead right. It was self-inflicted. was not brutality. I supported the cops. Every shred of that tweet was spot on. And yet you're, you got, not canceled, but. Well, they tried. 
Cancel. Right. I don't know if cancel means literally knocked out or, or whether cancel means just a blip. There's a thing called ratioing. Yes, ratioing. Right. Uh, it's a badge of honor when you're able to ratio somebody. Well, Hodlers. My understanding hodlers. is the ra ratio is like a like the mob is the numerator and the, the single target is the denominator. Is that right? Yeah, so you ratio somebody if they tweet something. Right. And... The, the idea of ratioing is a numerator that's big and a denominator that's small. Yes. Okay. There's more people shitting on you for your tweet than are agreeing with you for your tweet, right. essentially. Right. And boy, that first night they were they were talking about ratio. I mean, they go, you we're gonna ratio you like you can't imagine, blah, blah, blah. So they were they were within an hour hooping, yeah, hooping about how much they were gonna get me. Yeah. And I think it's the union kids. So yet again, I'm gonna write about them. And yet again, I'm going to list their seven names. And this time I'm going to put in a little note that says, by the way, if you're an HR person and you happen to run across this, my advice is don't hire them. You're just going to make a headache for your business. Right. Yeah. You don't want them. The, the head of Red Bull is great. This sometimes happens. The head of Red Bull had a couple of higher ranking people in his operation. He owned 70, he owned 87% of Red Bull. So he, he, he was in charge and he had a couple of, uh, social justice warriors in his high command causing hell and he just fired them. Yes. I remember that blew them right out. And I'm going, there we go. That's what I think the trend's going to be smaller and more private businesses that don't have to put up with this. There was a big thing in the, the cryptocurrency space, Coinbase, one of the largest ex exchanges, particularly here in the United States. Actually, I, do not agree with them on many things would not recommend them as an exchange to buy Bitcoin from, but it was actually interesting to see their CEO, Brian Armstrong, come out and write a letter to their company saying, hey, we're not going to allow politics like within our our company discussion and culture. Like We're not going to drive what we do here at Coinbase based off the political climate of the day. Well, so I, have, I have someone I know, I'm going to keep this really obtuse, who has relationship with a not-for-profit organization. And, and they wanted to hang a Black Lives Matter banner. And it had nothing to do with their charitable organization. There was just nothing to do with it. And it's right now in the middle of a big brawl because some percentage are saying, look, there's potential for alienation. It's not in any way tied to us. Then you got the other half saying, oh, but we have to stand up for what's right. I'm going, no, you don't actually, right? If you are yeah. an environmental group, you're not in charge of worrying about racial discourse. What is right? Like trying to force struggle sessions and uh, uh, what, what, what's it called? The executive order that Trump just issued to, to not do this shit, the crazy critical theory Criti stuff. Yes, critical race theory. Yeah. Like, What's actually more alienating? I love that, actually. I thought that was good. I, the other thing is, I think the people who push it, who mean well, do not understand that, first of all, there's a bunch of people who really don't sign off on it. And and maybe you don't want to cater to them because they're maybe they are bad people. I don't know. But there's a whole bunch of people who are just tired of it. And, and I think that I really don't think I'm a racist at all, except for I think congenitally we're all racist. I think um, I think we evolved to to distrust someone who was unfamiliar to us. In fact, our tribes were probably so inbred when we evolved that, that probably there was almost a genetic connection required. So so you could 
if, if they didn't look like your cousin, be careful. But I think we did evolve probably to not trust people who look markedly different because they're the ones who are going to kill you, right? They're, they're the, the predator. We're all alpha predators. But, but I, within that, society can knock the edges off racism and, and deal with it and I think be pretty fair. Um, but I think there's a lot of people who are very fair, non-racist people by a reasonable measure who are tired of being told they're racist. Oh, I think there's a considerable amount of people. A considerable think... number. They, won't, they can't speak up. I mean, we've gotten to a point. Well, they're going to have to. Well, they soon. are. It gets back to the coward part. But yeah, well, if I it's work good. for Pfizer or something, I can't speak up. Well, the rhetoric coming from the left has gotten so far that's like if you vote for Trump, you're a white supremacist racist, and that's just untenable. You're. Right. Do you really think there is 31 million white supremacists? So where did this racist? come from? And it gets back to that. I think we've got a whole generation of, of young adults who came up through a system. That somehow from, you know, the, uh, there's an analogy here, you know, we turned over our education system unknowingly, whether it was premeditated on their part, I don't know, but unknowingly we handed it over to the, the super left. So if you look at the educational institutions that really control the curriculum. I bet you find serious left wing. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of things here. Uh, Joseph Gatto, who was the head of education in New York state for quite a while one teacher of the year many years he came out against the public schooling system and did a lot of research and and tracked the public schooling system here in the united states Wait, didn't he work for bear stearns or something or is that a different joe gatto maybe a different guy okay. i'm pretty sure uh, i th think this guy was focused on education for most of his career but basically the public schooling system was brought here by prussians uh and the prussian schooling system God. Was was basically to indoctrinate people with socialism. It's to create a military. Yes. To so they create... realized to get a military, they needed to get people to believe, and then they could have a military. Yes, and well, so it's a combination of that, and then I would argue, like in the seventies, when there were there was you probably know more about this than I. There was a lot, apparently, a lot of violence from the left, whether it be the Black Panthers, the Underground uh, Weather Group, whatever the Weather yeah, Underground, the Weather Underground, right? Um, and and, a bunch of uh, a guy I'm actually a fan of, Malcolm X and his troop. I, I think Malcolm X is a fascinating story. Uh, I'm a big fan of Malcolm X as well. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I think he's a story of redemption, and I think he's also a story of uh, self-reliance. I think he's a, he's a, in the civil rights movement, he's probably one of the clearest thinkers, too, and really oh, highlighting genius. the problems. Genius. Uh, and, and I'd love to have seen what he could have done if he stayed alive, right? Right, and... And the message, like, and the, that's what I loved about Malcolm X particularly, is the message he put out there into the world was to take care of yourself first and foremost, obviously, and, and work about building up your community. And, like, the white liberal is actually your enemy. I think he might have been the first person to yeah, say I've that. Yeah, I've used that quote. <laughs> I've used one of his quotes saying, don't trust them. They want power. Yeah. Uh. And it's, I mean, and so, like, I think people who failed in the 70s with left leftist movements some of them went to jail for bombing for terrorists for domestic terrorism and got out of jail in the early 80s and then trickled in to the university system and the combination of the public schooling system leading to the university system and based off a prussian machine to create socialist drones and so they it turns out since they since the uh sort of neo-marxist socialist theory has failed on the economic battlefield they've gone to the social battlefield 
Yes. Um, the analogy to this, by the way, the other screw up to hand over this kind of power turns out to, that I like to use is, is Saudi Arabia. So the, the Saudi royal family, there's a progressive group for you. The Saudi royal family, somewhere along the way, and I can't remember the details, basically in the Great Compromise handed over the educational system to the, to the Wahhabi clerics. And then they raised a generation of kids that believed in beating the shit out of women and throwing gays off roofs and things like that. And so they, they didn't realize that by, by, you don't let radicals get a hold of your educational system. And we oh. have, it's, it's, it's almost game over in that sense. I think it is game over for the public schooling system, at least. Like, I think you're going to see a big push towards homeschooling. Well, that's what will undo it, actually. And if, or if you can get a, a school choice. I'm now a big fan of school choice and vouchers, whatever. If the school system sucks, I don't think you should have to pay taxes into that system and, and instead be able to take your tax money and put it towards a better system. I even think, I even had this thought that in a public school system, so let's say you have a big school district, you have, you know, five social studies courses running simultaneously and five math courses, right? Big, big track, a lot of classes. Um, I think you could track kids based on what their parents want. So for example, um, this is going to sound like a lot of, like you wouldn't believe, but I think there's a ton of kids who didn't need to read a shitload of Shakespeare. These are kids who can't put together sentences yet they're being forced to read Shakespeare. I would sign my kids up unless they were particularly erudite. I would sign them up for a, for a writing track. Say, look, my kid's in ninth grade. By 12th grade, I want the kid to be able to write sentences. And instead, right. I, re, I had to read Waiting for Godot. That is a stupid book. And I say <laughs> to people, well, you can't understand it. And they go, well, that's the point. I go, that's not the point. And, and you know, there are good books. Now, the, 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 this, the, the Marxists are, are getting things like, this is so stunning to me, To Kill a Mockingbird. I cannot fathom a more progressive book than To Kill a Mockingbird. They're getting it booted out of schools because of something. I don't know what. I don't even know what their argument is. To Kill a Mockingbird is such an unbelievable story of non-racism, you know, being a good person, and they're trying to boot it because there's something buried in that plot that they don't like. It's because it says the N-word, I think. I, I guess that's it. Um, uh, but like, like my hope is that the pendulum is as far as it can go in the silent majority that we've been alluding to on this last 45 minutes is, is fed up and push to the brink. So then the question is, do they finally wrestle control back? And I don't, I don't know. Neither do I. I think this election is going to be interesting. The, the, the result of the election, if they are, um, if they do come (laughs) to fruition, who knows? There's a lot of posturing, like the result won't be clear, but if a clear result comes, I think we're going to have two very different four years from now, depending on who's in office. Well, so I'm fascinated to watch if the right loses its mind if Biden wins. I have no doubt that the left will lose its mind if Trump wins. Yes, I mean, that's... I, I, I put it this way. If they didn't, that would be extraordinary. Well, at what point do they just throw their hands up? Like, all right, let's just 
I mean, now they're like trying to replace him, obviously. But if he wins again, do they just concede? All right, we got four more years left of this, and then we can. Uh, well, what do you think? We can I win don't ourselves. Think they're going to. They're not going to. They're not going to say, "Oh well, we can work with them." No. No, I mean, so it's another so much nuance to everything we've been talking about. I feel like it's all interconnected. I don't know if it's all coordinated uh, from a central location or with much thought behind it and attention behind it, or if it's just the product of the combination of things all happening at the same time. So the left is filled with a bunch of people I would define as not, I'm not creating this term. It's a term that's popularized many years ago, but we have an, uh, a, an elite overproduction right now right. where many people growing up were taught that, Hey, if you go to university, you get your degree, you're going to get a higher, uh, salary that'll set you apart financially. Yeah, from... That's turned out to not hold up very well. <laughs> no, I, well, I, you know, I, I've been on the soapbox saying that we should cut the number of college degrees in half. Well, I think this is another variable at, adding and aiding the the chaos right now so you have these people who thought they were going to be financially bifurcated from the working class and they're simply not your your uh your counterpart who went to a trade school and is now running a, a very successful plumbing business is probably making 150 grand a year while you're making 150 grand a year as well but you're in more debt and you're not liking your job as much so i had i had firewood delivered one day and uh and I, I was trying to figure out how you make money selling firewood, right? That's, that's, that's a lot of work. That's, that's, he said, oh, no, that's the mom and pop operation. Can't do that. And he says, it's all automated now. So we have big equipment. It does everything. And, and uh, he, he basically gets contracts to clear vast amounts of land for a road or whatever. And then they take all the wood. And, and I said, how many cords do you sell a year? He said, uh, 4,000. Holy shit. And, uh, and he said, but I'm also a tree surgeon. And I said, how much does the equipment cost? He gave me a number, I can't remember, but it was a couple hundred thousand. I said, I'm gonna guess you probably clear maybe just from the firewood, 100,000 a year. He said, yeah, that's just about right, actually. So he's making 100K selling firewood. And he's also a tree surgeon, which, which they charge almost as much as surgeons do now. And so he's making a lot of money. And uh, guy who fixes elevators in our building says six digit salary to fix elevators. And so I, and, and heaven only knows if you took a Harvard smart kid and you didn't send him to Harvard, but rather he started the plumbing company and how, how a smart guy could turn that plumbing company into a cash machine. Yeah. And some people have done that. And they it do. makes, it makes the people who went to university are now in debt and are making the same amount of money, very angry. And instead of being able to separate themselves with a salary, they're now going woke and trying to separate themselves with some perceived moral and superiority. Pay, pay done. I, I don't, you know, if, if someone asked me, what should I study to make sure I don't get humped later? It's a, it's narrowing. Yeah. I'm, I'm seriously. Like I seriously uh, doubt the, the robustness of the university system 20 years from now. I don't it's I think it'll the be. University system, but for example, someone comes and studies English. In not so long ago, you could become a journalist or whatever, and there were, there were careers. People have to write stuff. A lot of those careers are gone. Um, heaven only knows what the 
the humanists do. They go off and get a PhD, takes 15 years, and then they're 45 years old and they get it. And then they do, they're an adjunct professor. And on some fateful day, they slip up and say something wrong and they get fired. That, that's, that's what they have to look forward to. And, uh, and, and so, you know, if a kid said, what do I do? I'd say, well, you know, robotics, uh, bioengineering, you know, there's, there's, there's I, I think computer science of various kinds is likely to stick around. Although we could end up in some, in a computer world where humans are not coding anymore, right? So, yeah. Did but... you see Biden? Did you see the clip of Biden where he's talking about the coal miners in West Virginia and that, that they're an industrious group and that if they lose their jobs, that they can learn to code? Yes, yes. And I'm saying, you got a guy who probably dropped out of school to hit the mines in third grade. And you're telling him to go get a job learning how to code? He doesn't even realize that AOL has competitors right now. I'm sorry <laughs> if that's demeaning. But no, I mean, it's, it, that just alludes to how completely disconnected the political class is with. Yeah, they don't get it at all. Those guys, the political class in Hollywood are both both so so unbelievably unaware of how much, I, I one time was in a chairs meeting, by the way, where all the chairs of College of Arts and Sciences get together. And they're for the most part a reasonable bunch, but the dean was trying to say, look, we can't teach courses with only four kids in them. This is too expensive, right? We, we've, gotta, we've, gotta, we've gotta have a minimum threshold here. And, and the, uh, many were, were shitting a pickle. And one guy, I'll never forget one, but I was talking about learning Sanskrit and I go, yeah, that's important. I, I took transcendental meditation. Um, but I think it's important to have some kind of Sanskrit here. It's a big school. Uh, but one guy said, oh, you, 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 you have to teach Dante in Italian. I'm going, oh yes, of course. Um, so I finally shit my pants and the Dean didn't say anything, but I'm sure she wanted to give me a hug. Um, and I said, you know that there's over a trillion dollars of student debt out there and that we're getting blamed for that. And that if we don't get our act together, they're gonna come after us with torches. Do you have any idea that that's happening? And they're all looking at me like I took a dump on the table in the middle of the room. A little bit of self-awareness would go a long way in that room, it seems. It's... But, but to, to me, their credit individually, there's some very nice, smart people in there. And, and the chairs in particular, because the farms do tend to pick the people and say, oh yeah, that, that guy's not a douchebag. Let's make him chair. Now, obviously chemistry doesn't have that filter, but, uh, but no, I, I, think they, um, I, I think the chairs in general are people who have shown a kind of a groundedness, but, but I have been told by administrators how bad it can be. So I, I, we had a dean I thought was phenomenal. She got ridden out of town by, on a rail by the humanists, so she didn't get renewed. She was on track to be a university president, in my opinion, and I don't know if she can get back on it or not. So she's now in a high position at a, but at a substantially lesser school. And I think they derailed her. And it's just because they're a bunch of babies. That's my opinion. She was, you know, I sat through chair, chair meeting after chair meeting for four years. And it's in the modern era. And this woman over and over emphasized two things, resources and improving. The, everything that came out of her mouth was, re, it wasn't, you know, kowtowing to bizarros. It was once in a great while she'd mentioned, you know, we do have to achieve this very matter of factly, but it was about 
how do we get more resources and how do we improve? And I'm going, that is what the hell you want in a dean right there. Principled, methodic. Yeah, she knew how the world worked. Right. Uh, how do we get, get rid of this culture of entitlement? It'll blow up somehow. It'll, it, it'll do itself. I don't think we, what? I don't think we control it. Uh, neither do I. I well, think gonna, it is blowing up right now. Wrap because I've hung up on my wife twice, so I can actually now hear her squealing from from about six miles away. Yeah, no, I I have been hearing the, the phone ring. It's been an incredible three hours, Dave. Uh, I can't thank you enough. It's always great catching up. We'll have to do it again near your oh, year. Yeah, you're review. a great podcaster. You're you're you have this way of of letting uh, crazies like me rant and still still corral me in and keep me going and rational direction so uh, I'm, I'm always happy to do it with you Marty. well thank you you uh the the feeling is mutual we make it very easy to be a podcaster you just simply have to push it so putting whitney and and column whitney webb and dave Column in the same week could cause some sort of neurological damage in your your listeners though right it's a bit of an overload isn't it yeah, we're going to have Chris Cuomo on next week to to balance it out. Uh, <laughs> Don Lemon. Did you see the Don <laughs> Lemon video, by the way, where he, where he gave suggestions to the black community? Uh, the do? one from years ago? Yes. Where he was, yes. Yeah, where he quit was, letting your pants sag off your ass and quit littering and stuff like that. He was mansplaining to the black community. Yes, right. and he was making great points and going, well, uh, Don apparently is not stupid. He's just unprincipled. Yes, which is a lot of people in the mainstream media are on principle. Yeah, very so it's few. pretty clear that Don just, just does what he's told to do. Yes. Whereas uh, on the right, my favorite guy, one of the few, um, I like Tucker Carlson. I'm but a big fan of Tucker too. That's I don't, I, I think he can be way off and, and that he, he's sanctimonious that in a way that makes me look like a piker, but, um, but he will go against his home team, if he thinks it's the right thing to do, I think he speaks from a position of principle. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if he said this publicly, but I think it's pretty well known in some circles that Tucker's a distributist, which isn't exactly far right wing. It's actually more centrist. Well, than, if you than... ask the left, I don't think they'd come. Oh, no, Tucker definitely. Carl, who Tucker Carlson is kind of a right wing analog of Bill Maher. Yep. Those, yeah, I agree those with that. two have serious political leanings, but they will they will go the other way, and and they're not afraid to do it. And so I can listen to Bill Maher all day long, even though I can disagree with him eighty percent of the time because I know I know he's saying what he thinks for starters. Yes, yes. And so I, I God, I'd love to break bread with either of those guys. I, by the way, am in an investment conference. It's going on today, tomorrow, the next day, whatever. I'm doing a, I'm doing a panel discussion. I, ten minutes of fame, literally ten minutes of fame. Thirty minutes, three of us. Ten minutes of fame, um, and and he, I, he's the guy. I think he's right before us. I think he's speaking right before us. Well, if you bump elbows with him at this, yeah, well, it's going to be on Zoom, and he ain't going to be yeah. on Zoom with me. So, um, I, I followed uh, Alex Jones one day. Now, we weren't talking about conspiracy. I was talking about IRAs, and he was talking about wackadoodles. He, he seemed surly to me. I brushed against him just a little bit. He seemed pretty surly. Yeah. Um, was, he, was he trying to show you silver pills? No, I, he literally just seemed to not give a shit about seeing anyone. It was really, yeah. it was really, he seemed unpleasant, seemed brusque. Mm. Well, 
somehow you come into contact with Tucker, I'd love to have him on this podcast. Maybe the three of us and Whitney could get on one together and really explode. <laughs> Tucker would be great. Tucker would be he great. Would. Um, there are I, think he's, I think he's going to run for president at some point in the next 12 years. And there's going to be a lot of news clips of him saying shit that he's going to have to deal with. Right. Yeah, we'll see. Okay. Um, let's, you need to get back to your wife. Let's grip it and rip it and get out of here. And um, and meanwhile, it's always fun. Uh, you hodlers out there, uh, try not to lose your shit. You're kind of crazy. But uh, but uh, if I figure if Bitcoin goes up, gold goes up. And so uh, you guys can have from uh, the Mississippi to the east. I'll take from the Mississippi to the west. And I'll uh, blow up California. <laughs> It sounds good to me. Okay. Uh, I like the East Coast beaches better. I, I can agree that on behalf of the hodlers, I'm going to air shake hands with you. And we made the agreement. The gold bugs get the West. I'm sorry, all my Wyoming freaks. We can do North South too. We'll, we'll debate on it. We'll meet at the table. Or I'll take Europe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. Enjoy yourself. Don't have any more kids without thinking hard. But then, uh, then have them. I've thought hard about it. We've got four more on the way. Tell your wife I said hello. I'm sure uh, uh, she's not always happy with me when I'm brought up in conversation because I take you away. Uh, no, the... you're, you're fine. Um, right. but, but I told her I'd, I'd be late because I was doing a podcast with you. So um, All right, sweet. But when I have to hang up, when I have to lift the phone and hang it back up again, uh, that, that, that gets me in trouble. Yeah, I have to go find out where my wife is. I'm not. I'm not she's, too. She's sure probably at this having point. an affair with some guy already. Uh. <laughs> have you done a paternity test? No. The problem uh, is, if you look at my kids, there's no doubt about paternity. No, exactly. As I'm in the same situation. Yo, holy I, shit! I, he's as nuts as his dad. Yeah, I couldn't deny him if I tried. Right. Right. Um. All right, Dave. I'm Adios. gonna post this tomorrow. We'll zoom out of here. See ya.